Hello, friends. I am Kent Lapp, and welcome to this episode of the KLP, where we give you long-form, in-person conversations that explore and inform. Today, I'm excited to give you my conversation with Renji Bajoy. Renji is the founder and CEO of Immersed, a tech startup in Austin, Texas, that has raised over $4 million to date and is partnered with Facebook to build VR offices, which we talk about on the podcast, of course, and you'll not want to miss it. It's cool as crap. Renji lives in Austin, Texas with his wife, Sarah. He is an outspoken believer who incorporates his faith into the fast-paced tech world and was recently named one of Forbes 30 Under 30. Congratulations, Renji. That's quite a, quite a feat. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Sister India. Check them out at sisterindia.org, and here is what you need to know in 60 seconds. In the last year more than ever, many of us are deeply yearning to make a positive impact where we can and bring light to a dark world. If that's your heart, I'd like to share Sister India's story with you. India is the most dangerous nation in the world for women and girls. Severe poverty and illiteracy make them vulnerable to trafficking and forced labor, while customary practices encourage child marriage, sexual assault, and female infanticide. Sister India changes these vulnerable women and girls' lives and teaches families to value girls as precious image bearers its program's outcomes are life-changing. Last year, average household incomes among participants increased 60%, and families began preventing trafficking, child labor, and child marriages. Each gift of $25 creates generational change for a woman, learner, and her daughters, and strengthens communities that love and uplift girls as the beautiful gifts they are. Also, your gift is matched to multiply your impact through the end of the year. Learn more about our story and outcomes and join in giving at sisterindia.org. Sisterindia.org, folks. Go donate to their important cause now and let them know you heard about them on the KLP. And now I give you my conversation with Renji Bajoy. Please enjoy. I saw your profile picture of the hairdo, and then I was like, oh, maybe it's him. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> now, the last time I had hair was uh, a few weeks ago, and then I had a pretty good beard going yeah. in March and yeah. April, and I think it might have drug into May, and then, you know, by, at that point, we, everyone's wearing masks, and yeah. I was just tired of it, and I just trimmed it off and trimmed all the hair off the top of my head, too. <laughs> yeah. it makes it nice and easy. Yeah, it's easy, <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, when I would buzz my hair, it's, it's so easy to uh, just... You know, dry yourself after your shower. Like exactly, when you have longer hair, it's like oh, yeah, get it yeah. You have a really nice beard. Oh, you have a good full beard too. <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah, yeah I grow you, myself. Yeah. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> have you had that nice and long? Or uh, yeah, my wife's never had... seen me without a beard. Oh, really? So we've been married for f- almost five years. Uh, oh, I've wow. known her for almost seven years. So yeah, she's not. I've I've had a beard since I was nineteen. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, it looks great, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. it looks great. It's a good thanks full so. beard. So you've been married for almost five years, you say? Yeah, it'll be five years in March. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I saw you pull up on a Model X. How do you like it? Oh, I love that car, man. How it's long have you car. had that? I uh, had that for about a year. Uh, we got the Model 3 when it first came out. Oh, um, did you? Okay. But then, we, then they, released, they released the white seats later that year, so we sold that one and got the new one with the white seats, and my okay. wife has that one. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, we, okay. love, we love What do you mean Tesla. the white seats? Uh, so when the Model 3 first came out, it only had black leather seats, oh, okay. and it was burning hot here in Austin. Oh, I like, really? I, I wanted white seats, but they didn't release it yet, so I was like, eh, I'd rather just like get the car, yeah. uh, and we'll figure out what, because I didn't know if it was going to be a year or two years later whenever they released white seats, Okay. Uh, but then they did like six months later. I was like, ah. 
we could have waited a little bit. Yeah. But, so we sold that one. Then we bought the second one. Yeah, yeah, we bought the second one with the same money. Yeah. Um, the the price, if anything, went up because it was demand. Yeah. It was hard to get a Model Three. Yeah. If you weren't already in line, so we made a little bit of money on it, uh, okay. <laughs> which is good. That's crazy. Uh, but then we got the white seats, and so now it's not burning anymore. So she has. Uh, the thing is, we bought the Model X because we were like, hey, we want to start having kids, and like. I was like, hey, you can have the kids in the SUV, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and she she desires to be a stay-at-home mom. Okay. And so uh, if she doesn't, she's an accountant. She doesn't really like it. Okay. Um, and I was like, all right, well, then you can get the Model X. I get the 3. And she's like, no, nah, I want the 3. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so I'm like, all right. Because yeah. the 3 is more fun to drive. It's more nimble. Uh, it, it just feels better on the road. Okay. The X, I mean, not that it, it's better from a uh, sporty aspect. The yeah. Model X is definitely a heavier vehicle. It yep. definitely doesn't, like, you can feel you're moving a big object when you're maneuvering. Okay. Uh, it's powerful, but you kind of don't want to be that bold on the road you like meaning it'll accelerate super fast but yep. it's kind of dangerous too to do that right? sure especially with yep. a big suv yep. so uh she definitely feels a lot more comfortable with model x but we'll switch back once we have kids so oh really yeah, okay yeah, yeah. i have not driven a model three mm. um i have a model s but it's okay. a 2013 so it's, it's it's old but what strikes me about mm. the 2013 is it's mm. still far it's still ahead of other cars that are 2019 and 20 it's crazy yeah. and it's like five six years ago yeah. seven years ago yeah, now yeah, you know yeah, yeah. but the but, model s it definitely feels more premium than the so like uh, I've driven I've, heard the, that. I've driven an older model S and the newer ones and they feel like it feels like a beast like it's it's okay. also a heavy vehicle mm-hmm. um it's more powerful than model 3 the reason why I went to, with the 3 is because like we felt like we get about 85% of what model S is yeah. but it's like half the price <laughs> all right model S That's is right. like it's a very premium vehicle you get all the bells and whistles and the X is, it feels very similar to the S but yep. the S is like a more nimble version of the X Yes. Right. It just it, that's how they feel. So yes. we're like, this is kind of the be- like X utility. It, it does what we need it to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, three. It's 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 the price point we want, and mm-hmm. uh, it's. I was like, once we exit, we'll get an S. <laughs> until, oh really? Okay. Until we exit, <laughs> that's the, that's uh, the carrot yeah, out that's front. That's the mentality for now. We're like, okay. right, be a little conservative. Like like, I'm, and the thing is, our mentality was. Like with my wife's old uh, Toyota, uh, or sorry, her old uh, Ford Focus, uh, it was she, she bought it for like sixteen k, but then we put like ten k of work into it. It was like four years old. Yeah. It turns out we got the the, the twenty fourteen model, which had a ton of recall issues and stuff. So we just didn't luck out. I was like, we could yes. have just bought like a Model Three with this money. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. So that was rationale. Yeah. Well, we have five kids, and we fit in my model uh, Model S. Oh yeah. It has the two rear oh, facing trunk facing. seats. That's awesome. Wow. And so we put two two of the smaller kids in the back, yeah. and the rest of us fit in there just fine. It's a family vehicle. And it has a, a, and it has a nice front too, right? So you it can does. Like put more stuff in there. It has too, a great yeah. front, yeah. yeah. But Model X has been something. We have a minivan also, and I mean, mm. ideally, we'd get rid of the minivan and get a Model X. Yeah. Because I mean, they seat seven as well. well how, how are you feeling about the the Cybertruck? So I'm signed up for it. Are you really? It comes My out neighbor next summer. is. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it, I think it needs to grow on you. Yeah. You know, I think <laughs> here's what I think. I think people they're going to hit the market and people are going to do some minor upgrades on them. Yeah. Different tires or wheels, that type of thing, yeah. and then it's going to look so badass. Yeah. Because I have seen a couple of mock-ups on Instagram and the internet's where it's like. Someone did a mock-up where they they jacked it up a little bit, bigger mm. tires, and made it out to be like a police vehicle, yeah. and that thing looks wow, sick, man. Yeah. So sick. I love the matte black. It looks really good on it. Uh, okay. We also want... Uh, I don't know if they're going to release a camper mode extension or something that we can get on yep. it, but we want that as well. So we are signed up for uh, getting a Cybertruck next summer, but... Okay. Uh, we don't want three cars. We have two drivers. Uh, yep. But we're like, all right, if Tesla rideshare comes out, we'll make the three BR, you know, make revenue for the family. Exactly. And she drives the X and I drive the Cybertruck. Does the three have everything that it would need to go out and drive people around? Correct. Yeah, it does. By yeah, so, itself. Correct. Yeah. So they also, uh, because we were, we f- signed up for full self-driving from the very beginning, okay. they also give you the GPU upgrade for free. So mm. we're now on the har- uh, the hardware, I think 
2.5 or 3.0, whatever is the latest one, they mm -hmm. just upgraded it about a month ago. So now it has all the features that the current Model X has. But for me, I'm like a little bitter in regards to uh, the Cybertruck versus the X because the Cybertruck has everything the X has and better specs, and it's like 35K cheaper. Really? It's nuts. Yeah. Like the, but, but it doesn't seat seven, though, does it? It doesn't. No, it doesn't seat seven. Okay. So that's the it one five? thing. It seats five. I mean, honestly, okay. you probably fit four in the back, to be real. It's a pretty wide okay. vehicle. Yep. Uh, but if we have a camper mode sort of thing, I don't know what they're going to do with that. Yeah. Um, it, it, so, yeah, you're right. It doesn't have seven seats. Uh, but as far as like 500 mile battery, uh, zero to 60, was it like 2.9? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's nuts. Crazy. So. Can you imagine yeah. 30 years ago if you'd have told someone, here's what a pickup truck might look like in 2021, yeah. and here's the specs on it, here's yeah. how fast it's been? Like, you're crazy man uh -huh. and it's going to run on a battery yeah and, and it's going to go 500 yeah. miles like no way they're, they're targeting a different type of person though like i'm not a ford f-150 person i would never like generally buy a truck mm -hmm. because it looks weird like that that's like i'm a techie mm. and i think they targeted like the techies who are like okay with buying more of a utility sort of vehicle i think Cybertruck's kind of good uh mix because they're like they, i remember elon Musk talking about how he's like uh, we're not trying to target Ford F-150 people. They're going to stick to Ford F-150s yes. year after year after year. Uh, he's targeting a different They're creating a new category. Exactly. Yeah. Did you ever read that book, The 21-Year Immutable Laws of Marketing? I haven't. It's like in the early 90s. Tim Ferriss has recommended it a few times. And finally, mm -hmm. several years ago, I got it. It's one of the most referenced books of all time for uh -huh. me, just in business. Yeah. And that's what it's talking about. It's if, you, if you can't be first or second in a category, create a new category, yeah. then own it. Yeah. That's what Musk did with the Cybertruck. Yeah, yeah I totally agree with that. And I wanted to ask this at some point, so I may as well just ask it right now. But you have it mentioned somewhere I saw that your dream mentor is Elon Musk. Mm, yeah. Why is that? Uh, I would say from a business standpoint, mm -hmm. not necessarily a like personal life standpoint, sure. <laughs> right? I have a different perspective on life than he does. Yep. Uh, I think that he has a level of courage and boldness and also uh, a level of challenging the status quo that most people don't have. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, growing up most of my life, I've always been the sort of the type of kid that always asked why. I'm probably the most annoying kid yeah. to my parents because they would tell me to do something. I'd be like, why? And it's like, because I'm your parent, now go do it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and so like, the thing is, though, and, and I expect mine and Sarah's kids to also be very similar, yeah. con also con uh, constantly questioning. And I know I need to grow in my patience to be like, I don't want to give them the answer, the, the reason. I know in my flesh, I'm going to be like, because I said so, I'm your dad, go do yeah. it. Uh, but I need to be giving them answers because I, as a kid, wanted answers too. Yes. Like something as simple as in high school, I didn't real I had a 2.6 GPA in high school I didn't try right and, and if someone if just one person gave me a good reason as to why I should do my homework and get college credit for my AP courses and stuff like that like like for your AP classes you get uh 10 extra points on your average but I was like oh cool I get to be 10 points lazier so I just need a 59.5 and then I passed this class and and, and <laughs> if, if anyone ever taught if someone you were too smart for your own good yeah, <laughs> I was like if one person just gave me a good reason my parents they didn't know about you know they're immigrants they didn't know about like AP credit and all that type of stuff if one person just gave me a good reason why I probably would have done all of that and I probably I could uh, leverage, utilize those things for, for uh, a better outcome. But I think Elon Musk had a good, healthy perspective on questioning things. And then he goes and seeks out the answer. Uh, for me as a kid, I just would question things and wanted things to be handed to me as far mm -hmm. as like, uh, you didn't give me an answer. Okay. That means there, there's no good answer as opposed mm -hmm. to you didn't give me an answer. Maybe there's a reason why people do this. Let me go find out. Okay. Um, I'm, and I think that I've learned that over the years that like yep. people test these things and even just looking at the way that he had built the, uh, like all of his vehicles, um, he, he, he definitely tested the status quo in regards to like, hey, yeah, like vehicles have been built this way for the past 100, 130 years, whatever. Um, that doesn't mean we necessarily need to do the same thing with the Model S and the X and the 3 or whatever. If you look at the chassis, it's so different. It's mm -hmm. not even a car. It's like it's a different type of vehicle. And it's because they tested all the assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even for me, the way that I built Immersed, 
same thing, man. Like back in 2017, when uh, I, I checked out the landscape to see what other products are out there that are similar, uh, I just felt like all of them were targeting uh, the technology or rather building their product based on what's available technologically mm-hmm. as opposed to building for the user. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was like Steve Jobs who talks about let's focus on the user and then work our way back to what technology needs to be invented to yes. service that yes. as opposed to, hey, what's possible today, you know, quote unquote, uh, and let's just build that and try to like pigeonhole the user and train them to learn a new type of way of using this garbage technology. Yes, <laughs> yes. I love that. And, and, yeah. and Musk does that really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think... Even setting aside the renewable energy piece, that's just how cars were meant to be driven, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you drive an electric vehicle that's built well, like a Tesla, mm. the speed, the responsiveness, yeah. the torque, the ease that it moves around, the fluidity yeah. of movement, the spontaneous just kind of starts and the, the, the regenerative braking, yeah, you pull your man. foot off the pedal. It's like, this is how cars were meant to be driven. Yeah, yeah. And the other, um, a few weeks ago, I was at the office, I looked out the window and there was a Tesla that had come up to the stop sign, took a right and went down the road. You could tell by the way that car accelerated that it was electric. Yeah. I mean, I could, I knew that it was because I could tell it was Tesla. Yeah. That aside though, if you had this gas car do the same thing, <laughs> it's just different. There was yeah. a, there was a responsiveness there that mm. I think you really just get with an electric vehicle. Yeah. It's like, this is how cars were meant to be driven. Exactly. It's yeah. something that's supposed to feel. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Do you think what Elon's doing is sustainable? I mean, he, I mean, he's what he said, four big businesses or three or four. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. this is, this is kind of unprecedented what he's doing. Isn't yeah. It? So the thing is he spends uh 50, 50 between SpaceX and Tesla. Those are his two babies. Mm-hmm. When it comes to things like the boring company and um, open AI and these different comp- companies that he kind of has a little bit of his hand in, he says he spends about, I think two hours a week on boring on the boring company. Mm-hmm. He works about a hundred hours a week, 2% on the boring company, like 40% Tesla, 40% SpaceX. And then he has like these other little things that he kind of does mm-hmm. on the side. Like Neuralink um, and stuff. Yeah. Neuralink's yeah. another one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, he is mainly the, like he realizes Tesla and SpaceX, these are the, the biggest like revenue generating companies. Okay. So he needs more of his time there. But when it comes to boring and Neuralink, as soon as one of those things become like probably Neuralink in 10 years from now, like he will likely find someone who can replace him at uh, Tesla or SpaceX. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll more likely let go of Tesla than he will SpaceX. He talked about how at Tesla, I mean, he's been looking for a replacement. Um, like I think about two or three years ago, uh, he mentioned he was looking for a replacement. He just hasn't been able to find someone who could uh, that he could trust will run the company the way mm-hmm. that it should be run. Because again, it's too easy to be become a money-hungry entrepreneur that doesn't care about the mission. It cares more about the money up front. And so in order to keep him on board, uh, his board gave him this crazy uh, target, which was, hey, 10x the company in the next five years. I think he did it in two or three years, which happened this year. 10x the company, which is nuts. I remember when their shares were, before the five-for-one five stock split, um, their stock was 170. And I was actually in. I sold at 265. <laughs> and, oh, then, and then they just started I had some going. at 260. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, they went to the 2000s and I wasn't in. I was like, yeah. I was like, oh crap, it's too high. It's going to come back down. Never came back down. Yep. Five for one stock split. And then now again, it's, I think this morning, as of this morning, it's like 620 or 630 right now after the stock split. So like six, like over, that means over 3K before the stock split, mm-hmm. which is mind blowing, right? So yep. that being said, like, he 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 realizes he has to focus his time and energy towards the the larger companies. When Neuralink, honestly, probably ten years from now, it'll be a massive thing because you know mm-hmm. we start moving into the Matrix sort of stuff, and that's kind of a whole like weird yep. <laughs> kind yep. of world. Um, but if that is making revenue and it's like an actual commercialized product, mm-hmm. I mean, it might make sense for him to start increasing his percentage of time on that company. Yes, to make sure that the the vision and the mission is accomplished as opposed to just the money. To apply what only he can apply, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, he applied some things that only he can apply to like mm-hmm. the Tesla or SpaceX. I feel, and mm-hmm. if the time is right for Neuralink, there's going to be things there that need to be applied that only he can apply. Exactly, you know, 
it's like my pastor, I heard it once say, like, one step ahead is a leader, two steps ahead is a visionary, and three steps ahead is a martyr. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, there is true. such a thing about getting too far 100%. ahead. Yeah. And um, the, well, he said he said he wants to die on Mars, but just not on impact. Like, he's so about... <laughs> He's so about SpaceX's mission. He wants to be on not the first SpaceX mission to Mars, <clears throat> but maybe the second or third. And mm. that even that is like being a martyr. It's like yes. he even said the first group of people be okay with the fact that you might lose your life. That's right. Um, and, and you're 100% right about that. But sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no, you're good. Do you mm. think you could work for him, though? That if I could work for Elon? I've yeah. heard mixed reviews about him. Okay. Um, I think that... I think I could, mm-hmm. but the only thing is I wonder what his leadership style is like to his like first uh, level down. Does that make sense? There's a particular leader out there that's mm. very hard on the level down. Yeah. The first level down. Yeah. Extremely hard. Yeah. I think Trump probably is one of those and mm. there's some others I have in mind too. But then, but I feel like let's, I should have even mentioned Trump because we don't want to bring him into this, but let's <laughs> just take Elon for example. Yeah. That type of leader is so focused on the mission and the mm. end user that they're willing to sort of sacrifice some yeah. level of workability on that top line. Mm. And I'm not sure how you get it any other way, to be honest with you. But but I think that uh, he's looking for a type of leadership that realizes that, that he has to be hard on that first level. Yep. And I think that, I remember telling uh, the early people on my, on my team, the early employees, I was like, man, if I could do this over, I'd probably be part of the uh, first uh, early hires at a startup, as opposed to being the founder mm. or on the founding team because of how freaking hard it is to start a company yeah. from the ground up. Uh, and that being said, I think because I understand the mentality of a founder, uh, I think that I could probably appreciate the hard pressure that he puts on his first level leadership yeah. that that most people don't appreciate. And so yes. I think that although he'd probably be hard on me, I'd probably be okay with it. Mm-hmm. But it depends on my stage in life. Meaning if he's like, hey, I need you to work 100 hour weeks and then I have like three kids. I'm like, probably yes. not. Yep. Um, but it just sort of depends on kind of where I'm at in life. Yes. Yeah. How many hours a week are you working now? Probably like 70, 75 ish. But then again, I am a little different in the fact that like, five to six hours a night of sleep feels good to me. If I sleep mm. like seven or eight hours, I feel kind of groggy. Kind of like how like my wife, if she doesn't have nine to 10 hours, or sorry, if she hits like 10 to 11 hours, she feels groggy, but Kay. like nine-ish hours is perfect for her. Yeah, that's So me. it's just like, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Five hours is not enough, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, uh, uh, I think I get that from my mom. My mom okay. as well. It might have been something that was trained into, because I, I, I remember in high school, I would sleep t- 12 hours and love it, but I was also kind of not very motivated. Like I, I was okay. only motivated in Halo. Like I was uh, ranked nationally when I was 12 years old in Halo. No yeah, kidding. We had sponsors come to my house, try to sell my parents on uh, maybe making me be homeschooled so they could fly me around. They're like, we'll pay you guys 250K. We'll just have your son with us and you, you're welcome to join and fly around and we'll just compete for Halo. 250K yeah. a year. And, and they 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 travel you around and put up like yeah, housing, whatever you exactly. need. Exactly. And my parents said no because they thought it was a scam. Because to be real, back then, this is when, what was that? That was uh, 2003. Okay. Like my, or 2004. And my parents were like, wait, what the crap? This. Is this, that, that was uh, that was unprecedented, uh, right. unprecedented at that time. Uh, this is when uh, ga- pro gaming just started becoming a thing, uh, and so obviously I was all about it because I knew about MLG and all that type of stuff. And my parents are like, "No, my son's going to go be a doctor." It's clearly didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's yeah. some irony there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's Renji, right? Is that yeah. how you pronounce your first Renji, name? How do you yeah. pronounce your last name? Bajoy. It's my dad's first name. Renji Bajoy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is yeah. that how Indians do that? No, it's okay. my dad's name is Bajoy George, and so when he came okay. through Ellis Island, they're like, "Wait." You mean it's George Bajoy, right? Because George is a first ah. name. So my dad's last name is a first name. So he has two first names. Uh, so they flipped it around on his uh, I- identification. So when I was born, my dad never got around to changing his name back. And oh, so okay. uh, they're like, all right, I guess Renji's last name is Bajoy. And so like, okay. so it, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I want to hear a little bit about your story and how you mm. got here. But let's hear a little bit about your work now. So, yeah. so first of all, 
70 to 75 hours a week. Mm-hmm. When do you when do you work in those hours then? And yeah. Then let's hear a little bit about immersed and then let's yeah. go back and hear your story. Okay. Okay. Wait, so you wanted to hear about the hours? Well, yeah. Me? How do you put in 75 oh, hours well, a so week? Well, it's, so it's, it's interesting because, so for me, like I think the people around me don't notice that I work that much. Okay. It's partly because uh, like after my wife goes to bed, like I'm kind of just staring at the ceiling. So I'm okay. like, I could be doing something. I could be getting mm-hmm. something done. What time is that um, that she goes to bed? Uh, usually around like 10, 11-ish. Okay. And then she'll wake up around like eight. And okay. so like that's a good, like, what is that? That's, yeah, it's a good like 10-ish hours. Yep. Uh, I usually, so I usually go to bed maybe around midnight and usually okay. get up around like 5.30, okay. uh, 5.45. And then, you know, work out in the morning alongside uh, one of the guys on my team. He I, he keeps me honest, man. He keeps me mm-hmm. like motivated, which is mm-hmm. good. Um, and then we kind of get to work probably around like, like right after we work out, like shower, uh, get to work. Okay. Uh, so we'll work maybe between like anywhere between seven to eight in the mornings when we start working mm-hmm. uh, after the workout is done, uh, start working and then we'll be done around maybe seven ish PM. So it's okay. already 12 hours right there. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, spend time with my wife or our community at our church and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, our community group stuff or hang out with friends, whatever it is. And then when everything's set down around nine or 10 PM, uh, my wife's winding down, getting ready for bed. And by then I'm probably doing a couple more hours then. So that's maybe like, okay. that's probably like 12 to 14 hours a day right there. Yeah, wow. And are yeah. you guys still going to the office together? Uh, we do go to the Well, it's because we have only five people, oh, okay. and we are our friend group. And so like, sure. we're all we see. We play basketball together, work out oh, together. Oh, that's that great. Sort of uh, it is awesome. And uh, they're also guys who go to our church as well. So, oh, dude, that's um, real, real yeah, unique. That's yeah. real special. It is very So like the immersed special. team is five people right uh, now? No, so we we are 13 people. Okay. Um, everyone else who's remote, uh, they so, so we have yeah five in person and then eight remote right now. I see. Uh, we'll be hiring like three more mm-hmm. um so well, we're 13 right now we'll be at 16 and we're gonna stop there before our next round of funding in the next couple of months mm. after that round of funding is done then we'll hire we're trying to keep it as small as possible but we realize if we have about like 25 solid people uh, our team we, we're all founder mentality people so uh even with our small ish team compared to our competitors we're trucking like we have we're about a third of the size or fourth of the size of, some of our competitors and we're crushing the competition at this point and so it, part of it is i mean we're competing against like nine to five employees at like Apple or Google or Facebook mm-hmm. or whatever, but they're nine to five versus founder mentality people. Right. So mm-hmm. it's very unique. Um, even the people on my team who go to our church, I kind of picked the founder mentality friends that like, like to be real, I say this all the time, but like, uh, the best man at my wedding, uh, him and I are best friends. Uh, but we'd never work with each other. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So right. it's there not just such a thing as that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so like we, I don't just pick any of my friends. Like yes. I, I pick the ones that I know are okay. Like kind of what I mentioned, uh, like if I worked for Elon Musk, I'd have this understanding. I like, I know why he has to be hard on me. Yes. These friends are the ones that realize why I have to be hard on them. Okay. Um, but we're also friends. We're also brothers. And so they, they keep me accountable. Um, they, they, they check my blind spots and make mm. sure that we're doing this in a way that's healthy and makes sense long term. So, mm-hmm. uh, the, like everyone we hire at the company are pe- like, I asked myself, I'm hiring you because I, or I ask myself, like, could I see myself working for you someday? Mm. And if the answer is yes, then you're found founder mentality person. Mm-hmm. And you're definitely welcome at this early stage. I think we want to keep that. It's crazy. Uh, I heard that Patrick and John Carlson from uh, Stripe, uh, they did that with the first 500 employees. And so I'm like, if you get 500 Dang. founder mentality people, I mean, it makes sense why they're crushing PayPal, right? Yeah. Uh, even four years in is kind of where PayPal like, it's like, okay, maybe we should take this seriously. And then, you know, two years later, like Stripe is killing it in the space. And PayPal's like, all right, fine, maybe we should do this thing. Mm-hmm. But at that point, it's too late. They already have right. 500 founder mentality people at that point. Now they're like upwards of three, like 3,000, 3,500 people. Uh, but they're killing Stripe. it, dude. Stripe. Stripe. Stripe.com. Well, yeah. also, if you're a PayPal at that point, you can't just swap 
swap out a thousand people for a thousand founder mentality yeah, people. It's, it's so it's, hard. It's, 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 it's going to be a process. Yeah, it's yeah. not a one-time thing. Exactly, yeah. Yep. So Immersed, what is that? Yeah, so uh, we're partnered with Facebook to build virtual reality offices. And so uh, there are literally thousands of people every week who work in VR full-time, 40 to 50 hours a week. Um, and it's not eight hours straight with a headset on. It's usually anywhere between two to four hours straight with a headset on. And, you know, Then they take a break, go get lunch, whatever, come back and, and whatever. Um, similar to like how much time you spend in front of your computer screens, um, in Immersed, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing, but the way it works is uh, if you have like an Oculus Quest 2 headset, uh, which by the way are super cheap now, like super high quality, super cheap. Like They're, how cheap? Uh, 300 bucks. So okay. they, these used to, these had, I mean, that headset's probably worth about 800, um, but Facebook's selling it at uh, a loss because they're trying to get into people's homes. Similar to like uh, Amazon Echo Dot, uh, probably cost maybe about 40 bucks to make, but they sell it for like 15 to 25 bucks mm. um, just to get into people's homes and, and they make revenue on the back end, right? Like you're buying, pro you're buying Amazon shopping products through that, right? Um, same thing with Facebook's headset. While the uh, hardware is cheaper and subsidized, oh, it's actually subsidized by the apps and games that you purchase actually on the Oculus Store. Does that make sense? And so um, even for us, for our product, we're an app on the Oculus Store as of right now. Mm. Um, and uh, users pay 15 bucks a month to use our product. And Facebook starting next year will be, or like mid next year, will be ma making a certain percentage of that as well. Mm. Um, you know, so the revenue that we, it was like they give us access to distribution and we get the, I mean, we acquire these users, we convert them into paid users and the Facebook takes a small cut of that. I see. Um, and so anyways, point of what I'm saying is like, the, the way the product works is when you put the Oculus Quest 2 headset on, it wirelessly pairs to your uh, Mac, PC, or Linux computer. Uh, it, uh, it automatically spawns five virtual screens uh, without any extra hardware. You don't have to plug anything in. It's, it's, it's just we, we uh, trick your computer into thinking it has five screens. And so uh, this is what has given us such a deep uh, technological moat compared to our competitors. We're the only product that does that. We're, all, we're the only product that's uh, not only on PC, but also Mac and Linux. Only product that spawns multiple screens. And then also on top of that, we... Uh, as soon as you need to collaborate with your coworkers, uh, they can also beam into your space and share all five screens. It's actually higher resolution than like sharing a screen on Zoom, and you can just you share all your screens as, or as many as you want. And so for coders, this is a game changer. Like especially during COVID, coders are having to like they're no longer in the office around all of their screens and whiteboards. Uh, they are now at home and they can only share one screen at a time. If they code on a vertical monitor, for example, uh, and they screen share that on. On Zoom, it shows up as like, you know, you have your horizontal MacBook Air or whatever, and then has like a thin strip. You can't read anything on that. Right. Uh, but in Immersed, uh, you immediately beam into their space as if you're already around their screens like in person, right? Hmm. Uh, and then on top of that, if you need a whiteboard, we have a whiteboard in there. Uh, it quite literally feels like you're in person together. It's so, it's so crazy how uh, with Zoom and you're, you see someone's face on the screen, I mean, you don't feel like you're there with them. Absolutely um, not. But whenever you're in Immerse, it's crazy. Like if a person gets too close to you, you feel like, hey, you're too close. Really? Yeah, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing. You feel like you're invading your space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so like if in real life. Exactly. So we have to build like this personal bubble sort of feature where you can't actually go into someone's space. You kind of uh, become invisible as you enter their space sort of thing. Um, and so that being said, like uh, this product has given teams uh, tens of thousands of users every month are working in VR using our product at, at this very moment. Uh, and so uh, as we sort of rolled this out to different teams, it's been really cool to see how uh, for them, they no longer feel this like Zoom fatigue sort of thing. Uh, but instead, they actually feel like this is a, a, a much closer step to what they used to have pre COVID. COVID. Really? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. How this is really cool, by the way. And um, thanks, man. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. And yeah. it, and I could see where it could work because Zoom is awful. Yeah. 
People get so tired of it. And yeah. there's a, but there's a science behind it because you can see yourself and you're not supposed to really see yourself when you oh, talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the human being is yeah. so attentive. Like I can see in your eyes yeah. and like if you just like a little bit like yeah. if you squint your eyes, I can tell kind of how you're picking up on what I'm saying mm. and how we read body language. Body like language, yep. the human interaction is like actually very like finesse and fine tuned. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. But Zoom, it's it's you you you're not supposed to see yourself when yeah. you're talking to other people yeah. and you're somewhat distracted and uh-huh. and um and most I of the time you're probably looking at yourself too because you're like yeah. do i look weird like people are just exactly. our generation is kind of a little self-conscious yes yeah so there was an article somewhere i think it was in the wall street journal this summer that was talking about like the science behind why a lot of people don't like zoom there's mm. actually science there so what you're saying though is i can see this working it's so fascinating to me and now at one point there was this thought that like What's it called? Holograms would be a way that we would talk to each other more. Mm-hmm. But do you think that's just not actually going to be a thing, and it's going to be more VR? Uh, Which so, I know hologram is it is VR, right? Uh, it it can be, yeah. So I guess the, when people thought about, so I think the answer is yes, it's going to be holographic, but it won't be necessarily via VR. It'll be it's like like the long term goal of or long term meaning the next ten years or even, honestly even year after next when Facebook uh, glasses come out and Apple glasses come out that that's literally twenty twenty two. That's like hmm. like sixteen to eighteen months away from now. Uh, when those glasses come out, people are going to look like holograms. But it's not this mm. like external hardware where they pop in through a thing. Okay, it's going to okay. be just through their glasses, right? Okay. Um, and so the cool thing is, uh, it, it, the the end form factor is going to be something where you have a pair of glasses, but you could also feel immersed into a virtual environment, or you can have it be your current environment, and then aug- it's kind of more augmented reality where uh, you bring virtual objects into your current environment. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you're at a coffee shop, you probably don't want to be immersed into a different environment, right? You don't want to be in another world because you're at a coffee shop. You're in public. Your stuff is out. Like you don't want someone to steal your mm-hmm. stuff, uh, and you'll probably be okay with bringing virtual objects objects into your physical world. But when you're at home, you're, you're much more likely to kind of, kind of be bored at staring at your wall at your desk at, in your office at home. And instead, because I mean, you, you just, you've been there for the, you know, however many years sitting in front of your desk. Uh, and instead, you'd probably want to be immersed into another virtual world, but you're in the uh, safe confines of your home, right? So there are different use cases, uh, but Facebook and Apple and Google and Microsoft, they all want to bring this in. And, you know, Samsung and Panasonic are also working on this. Uh, they want to make this one device that does both. Uh, and so, I'm sorry. What what would be one device? The one device both? would be a pair of glasses that are able to <clears throat> immerse you into a virtual world on demand, or uh, let you be able to bring virtual objects into the real world ah, too. So when you're wearing this pair of glasses, you know, people say, "Oh, like why VR instead of AR? Because AR is more cool." Um, we we focus on VR right now because uh, those devices are 300 bucks, and there's over 20 million users who have those devices right now. VR. Uh, VR. Yeah, the Oculus Quest. Um, through Facebook, yeah, it, it, it's a three hundred dollar device. Um, it does immerse you into a virtual world and looks like a block on your head, sort of thing. It's actually a very light block. It's like a, a it's one pound. It's the same. It's, it's just barely heavier than this. It's pretty mind blowing. Oh, wow. They've made that thing so light, wow. super high quality, super cheap. That's what I'm saying. If every single time I've given a demo demo of the Oculus Quest Two, it just blows people's minds. They're like, I thought this junk was like five years away from now, or at least mm. ten years. And, and I'm like, it's here today, which is why I think people they they, they decrease the price so that people will be more willing to purchase it mm-hmm. and be willing to realize like, hey, this is not. VR like it was three or four years ago would give, give you headaches and it was blurry and pixelated. This is mind blowing. You legit feel like you're in another world, which is mm-hmm. pretty mind blowing. But that being said, uh, people don't want to wear a block on their head. They want to wear a pair of glasses, and especially if it looks like cool glasses, um, it's, it's kind of more stylish. So Facebook par- partnered with Ray-Bans. Um, and so they're together, they're building a stylish sort of pair of glasses that will be coming out year after next. Um, so that being said, like 
uh, they're, they're trying to give the immersion of what VR headsets give while enabling it to have the, ste- uh, the sleek, uh, cool style of Ray-Ban glasses. You right? think it'll get there? Like the actual, the same experience uh, maybe as not, immersed? Maybe very not. Close? Uh, uh, I'm not 100% sure what that's going to look like because part of it is when glasses are on your face, how do you sort of block external light from coming in? Uh, okay, yes. And they'll, they'll have to figure that out. Okay. Um, but, but then again, there are some, uh, like for example... Um, <clears throat> Oakley's that kind of hug your face pretty yeah, nicely. Yeah. And so it's definitely possible. Um, so we'll see what that looks like. But uh, I guess the point of what I'm saying is uh, whenever Apple and Facebook and got, you know, all, all these companies uh, figure out how to pull that off, mm-hmm. uh, people will be ha- able to have the choice of do they want to be immersed into a distraction-free private workspace like they do today mm-hmm. uh, on the super cheap headsets or uh, do they want to be, you know, if you're at a coffee shop, you probably just want to have your virtual screens, but you still want to also be able to see other people walking around and mm. like uh, you might be around your friends or whatever. Uh, and the cool thing is that gets to the point where you kind of remove the need for a physical laptop, period. God, and instead, so crazy. Yeah, it's mind-blowing, yeah. <laughs> and you said bring a pair of glasses with you, and that is your computer, right? Especially with the hand-tracking technology that we're working on, all of that, that enables you to not even need a physical keyboard anymore. Well, explain that, too, because mm. I saw in your email to me, it said this email was written in VR. Oh, yeah. And then I, I saw a demo, so I know what you're talking about, but yeah. Explain that to the listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, our team, we work in VR. Like our, our team is, uh, like I would say, a third in person and, and two thirds remote. Uh, but we work together in VR. And so what that looks like is, uh, I'm, I'm around my screens in VR. I have a headset on. It, it spawns five screens uh, because we have hand tracking in VR right now. There are cameras on the actual headset that track your hands in 3D space. And so you quite literally lift up your hands and you see your hands in VR. It's like an avatar hand. It's pretty mind blowing. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and so we have a virtual keyboard that actually. Um, is overlaid onto your physical keyboard. So you have your MacBook right in front of you. Mm. Uh, and so the virtual keyboard is overlaid perfectly with the physical keyboard. So when you reach in VR to touch this virtual keyboard, you feel your physical keyboard too. And so you're able to touch uh, touch uh, each. You do feel key. your physical keyboard. For now. But you don't have to. You don't have to. So, okay. so uh, but, but the longer term goal is for us to be able to um, essentially create a virtual keyboard that you can kind of move in 3D space uh, and you uh, essentially be dependent on light and sound in order to give you that haptic feedback, right? So uh, the cool thing about the way humans work is like for example when you smell something you almost feel like you're tasting it right mm-hmm. uh likewise when you hear and see something and if it's pulled off right it actually feels like you're touching something when you're not right mm-hmm. so if you think about uh, back in the day with blackberries before the iphone uh it had buttons on them right mm-hmm. and people are like wait the iphone has no buttons exactly how am i gonna be able to yeah, click i remember that yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. everyone's so concerned but then now you transition to a world where you kind of don't even need buttons you just you click on the screen and it works Likewise, in the future, people will say all the time, oh, but I, I need the tactile feedback of my keyboard. I'm like, I, you say that, you don't realize that you actually don't. Mm. There, you, there was actually a, a demo a few years ago of this company that, that, that worked on this hardware that uh, tracks your hands. Uh, it was like an external piece of hardware. It was like 80 bucks. It, it definitely wasn't a good user experience. Um, but, but the cool thing was the proof of concept of seeing your hands in VR. Again, this is like five years ago. So that was really mind-blowing technology. Since then, the company has sort of tanked. Um, they, got, they got acquired for pennies on the dollar sort of thing because they just didn't figure out the business model. But the, uh, the proof of concept was there. And they had this demo where you had a virtual keyboard. And as you're pressing each button, the, the keys would highlight and you'd hear a sound. And actually, it felt like you were typing. It was really mm-hmm. pretty mind-blowing. And so uh, we're going to be bringing that into our product, in, hopefully in this next year, where you can move your virtual keyboard with your bare hands and kind of type in the air, and you don't even need to have your laptop around. And in theory, you could move it a little higher and look a little higher, yeah. to get, right? You could move Just your keyboard you kind want. of wherever you'd want well, it to be. You could even like lean, sit back in your chair. 
take and it with you. Exactly. Yeah. And you're saying, look, you're not disregarding the need for tact tactical tactile feedback. Mm-hmm. You're just saying you can get that through sounds and, and light. light. Yeah. Because because your brain fills in the gap. You've seen this in uh, this mm-hmm. use case in so many different things. Uh, even right now, the hand tracking is I would say about eighty five percent accurate, which is not very accurate. But the way the human brain works is like if you kind of hold the headset up and, and then look at your hand, it's kind of off. It's not perfect. It's pretty good, but it's 85% of the way there. That 15%, it actually is a pretty huge difference. But when you put the headset on completely, it actually feels like your hand. Have you ever seen that um, hand experiment that's been, that went viral on YouTube? What they did was they put uh, a synthetic like rubber hand next to yours, that was same skin color, whatever, uh, and they would put a cardboard block up. Uh, or a cardboard uh, bo- or like a, a sheet right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your hand would be here uh, that's that's hidden by the cardboard thing. And this synthetic or rubber hand that looks just like yours would be right next to it. Mm. And the person who's on this side of the table would take a feather and stroke your real hand yes. along with the other thing. And then they would like take like uh, their own finger and touch it. And then uh, a second later, they pull out a hammer and they smash the rubber yes, one. Yes, I saw this. And the person's like, ah! And they're like, oh, sorry, yeah. I don't know if I screamed yeah. at this thing. But they like scream. And they're like, oh, I felt that. Like they pretend like they felt that when they really didn't. You didn't even touch their physical hand. Yes. The, the, your brain uh, fills in. The, it's pretty mind-blowing. Your brain fills in that gap just the way the human brain works. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing in VR. Even though the accuracy is only about 85% accurate, you actually feel like this. these are your hands. And so likewise, when you move this virtual keyboard and you see the light and sound, it's going to feel like what it used to be on typing on a physical mm-hmm. keyboard. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Okay, so if you if we're working together in, v, in immersed VR... Mm-hmm. I, you're going to share your five screens with me? Mm-hmm. Or, right? or as may, maybe three screens, three of the five, whatever I want. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you could have one one or two screens that's mm-hmm. just for you, and you can share whatever exactly. amount you want with yep. me. Yep. And let's say the whiteboard is shared. Mm-hmm. That And it's shared in, 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 in the sense that just like if we were sitting beside each yep. other, I could write something on the whiteboard, then you could and erase I could write it, on it as and well. vice yep. versa. Exactly. Okay. So that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the screen thing, though, if you share screens with me, mm-hmm. can I edit those screens as well? Uh, not or? yet. That is a feature that we're releasing in the next couple of months. Okay, yeah. but okay, so that's coming. But Correct. right now, I can't necessarily edit on that screen, but I can see what you're putting on that screen exactly, in a yeah. way that's just not available through Zoom or any other way right now. Exactly. And then on top okay. of that, what's so crazy is even uh, two weeks ago when I was pair programming with one of the guys on my team, we're like, let's just try to compare this to Zoom. And we pulled up a Zoom screen share thing as well. And it was just way clearer in immerse. I was like, because hmm. Zoom, for I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it's like maybe 720p that's being shared. But in VR, it's probably like 1260 or 1640 or whatever. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's just way clearer in VR. And on top of that, you could bring the screen even closer and you just see higher resolution. Oh, text. wow. It's, it's pretty mind-blowing, man. But yeah. it, is, it is mind-blowing. <laughs> but what's so cool about what I'm hearing, though, is like even if I didn't want to share my workspace or screens with you... Mm-hmm. In theory, I could spend 300 bucks on Oculus headset, mm-hmm. use your software, mm-hmm. and then at the very least, I can now have five screens and a mm-hmm. whiteboard for myself, right? Yep. Because yep. I know a lot of people who mm-hmm. like to have multiple computer monitors, yep. but you got to go out and actually buy an actual exactly. computer monitor. Yeah. Using what you do, you it's virtualize like it, yeah. you just virtualize it. Yeah. You're accomplishing the same thing, exactly. right? You're seeing different information on different screens. Yep. It's not all tied together. Yep. And but now you don't have to go buy different monitors. Yeah. Like at the very like at its most dumbed down level, yep. there's some advantages there. Exactly. And most of our users are solo mode users. They use Immerse for uh, being in a solo private workspace just to be hyper focused. Right. We get them into a mode of deep work more frequently, uh, frequently, and for longer periods of time. Uh, and so use, if they use Immerse, if they use Immerse, because the thing is, there. Uh, like for example, if you're at home, your kids are running around, or like even if even if you're in, you're in your own office, you can kind of hear them. You maybe feel the floor vibrating because mm-hmm. kids are running around or whatever. Um, 
but when you're in immersed, like you're just so focused on your screens because we, we also create environments that help you focus. So for example, mm. uh, one of our, my favorite environment is our starship scene where you're sort of in a captain's chair and you're in low earth orbit and you see the earth slowly rotating and like, or like, ro- like, and you feel like you're in low earth or it's, it, it's, it's mind blowing. You're, you, you're working in like, why well, you like orbit the earth basic, exactly. basically? Exactly. Yep. Yep. And you have your screens around you. And so it's kind of just this relaxing, our users say all the time, sometimes they just move their screens to the side and stare. Just at the earth. Oh, wow. it's, it's mind blowing, man. And so like, I mean, there's some uh, companies that literally they just build the environments and they bring it to like nursing homes because you know, older people can't leave the nursing home. And so they help, you know, they have beach environments and, you know, the Grand Canyon and things like that. So even even just from an experiential standpoint, environments, it's mind blowing. Uh, VR is a mind blowing thing. Right. Um, and so we bring that along with your screen. So it's just like a, a chill environment to get your work done. You don't have to, again, sit in your office at home and just stare at the wall sort of thing. Your uh, users, uh, some users, for example, who uh, are in apartments in New York City where you know, they have 500, 500 square feet for their entire apartment. Uh, they're like immersed enables them to feel like they don't have to be stuck in their apartment and they, they are more productive. We've had students who say, yo, I really hated learning until I had immersed. Like I used immersed and now this actually makes me want to use my screens, makes me want to want to get my homework done. Yep. Uh, we also have virtual co-working where, for example, uh, freelancers all around the world they're, they're pretty isolated, especially because of COVID, because they're just kind of working by themselves. You, they used to go to co-working spaces, coffee shops, whatever. Uh, but now in Immerse, we have uh, Immerse Virtual Cafe, where people all around the world, they're not collaborating. They're just sitting next to each other and doing their work. And they just feel they feel the presence of someone else there also Ooh, getting work done. Whoa. And it has a very, um, uh, it, it rubs off on you. It makes you also want to be productive. Yes, you see other it does. Being productive, yeah. And when you see the other people, are you actually seeing what they're currently doing? Yeah. Well, you don't see their screens. No, you, you just right. See, you but- see them doing this. And but it's you, actually them doing it. It's that. actually them doing it, yeah. And, okay. and then also, uh, you can mute yourself or you can unmute yourself. So some people like will meet each other in VR for the first time. It was funny. We, uh, me and Gavin, another person on our team, we were just working in VR and uh, just doing our work uh, in the Merce Cafe. And these other people were just sort of talking. They're having a conversation about, oh, yeah, I'd love to like uh, talk with my team about actually like purchasing this. And I was like, Yo, Gavin, you know what to do. <laughs> and so he moved over to that part of the cafe. Say, hey, what's up, guys? Introduced himself. And he was able to like virtually introduce himself and make the sale in a conversation. And so it was just like, not necessarily like the sign, like they signed the paper, right. the doc, but like uh, actually like have the conversation and get each other's contact info. And now they're sort of part of our, our pipeline, right? And so it was just like a cool way to meet new people like you do at a coffee shop. Um, it's just, it's kind of like a networking event sort of thing if you feel like it. Otherwise, um, we're going to be releasing this thing where it's a very simple low lift feature where if you're on mute and you're just like focused, we'll put virtual headphones on you so people know not to disturb I you. I was just going to say, it's kind yeah. of the equivalent of like being in a co-working space, having headphones on. Yeah. That means don't talk to me. Exactly. One headphone on means, you know, I'm kind of available, yeah. kind of not. And then no headphones <laughs> is like, yo, let's chat, bro. It's really you know? cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> what I love about this so much is I'm a huge environment guy. Like mm. I will, I want a space for a certain thing yeah. and then I will go somewhere else like to write, uh, to do some writing or yeah. like the environment I think matters so much much, with people's workspace, but even outside of work with just different things that you're, that you're focused on Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like I'm, I'm just huge in environment and this gives you so many options. I know it's so So many options. (laughs) What is it like for it? Let's just say a nursing home person who can't travel Mm. and you give them Oculus and show them the grand Canyon. Like how Mm. good is that? Is it, Uh, it, it's very convincing. Like there's uh, a demo where uh, you're walking this plank uh, over the grand Canyon and people are like, 
like they feel like they're there and when they fall like obviously someone has to be there to spot you mm-hmm. um it's it's a it's a multiplayer experience where you have to have people like make sure you're, you're safe um but it, like one of my friends has this company that just brings experiences to nursing homes uh, mm. and other corporations for team building exercises and stuff uh, and and walking the plank is one of them and it's just like mm. it scares people it, you literally like i remember the first time i put the headset on my mom she just like screaming she's like where's my legs oh yeah you know, she's like i was like mom chill and i took the head off she's like oh, oh. wow like, yo it's crazy like because the the screen quality has gotten so good and the the screen refresh rate as well so when you actually like turn your head back in the, okay. you know, 2014 uh you know it would like it would lag and yes. people would get headaches mm. um because their vestibular system is just not paired with what they're seeing right mm-hmm. so balance wise right so uh, now that the screen refresh rate, it's just it's it's, it's like 0.1 millisecond worth of refresh. Like it's just so fast, you just can't like you can't notice a difference with the human naked eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe if you're a jaguar and you you can see life in like 4x speed that a normal human can. But if you're a human with the current and and it has diminishing returns, you know, m- making pixels smaller and smaller and smaller, get to a point where it's diminishing returns. Like yes. Apple has no incentive is, or no in, uh, incentive for them to make these screens even higher and higher resolution because it's like. I mean, I'm a human being. Like, even when I do this, I can't see a pixel, right? Yes. Uh, so, same thing with the Oculus headsets. They're now getting to a point where you, no matter how close you bring it, you just can't see a pixel. So, you just feel like you're in another world. So, your immersion or your experience is highly dependent upon the graphics quality of the actual objects. Does it look like PlayStation 1 graphics or does it look like Xbox Series X or PlayStation 5 graphics, right? Mm-hmm. If it's uh, With the new um, Unreal Engine 5 that works on PlayStation 5, uh, if you, I don't know if you ever saw that demo, but it just... Now it's it's human eye resolution, like God. like like the games that are now playing uh, at uh, full frame rate. You've, the compute has gotten to a point where it just it's it's the same as real life. Like you could legit recreate this entire room right here, and it be all virtual, and 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 you would not be able to tell a difference. There's this headset called the Varjo, weird name. Um, it, it's it, they're working with the U.S. government. It's a um, it's a six thousand dollar headset, but but they use it for like fighter uh, pilots and stuff where. Uh, that that headset is legit human eye resolution. The Oculus Quest 2 is 300 bucks. It's not human eye resolution, but it's it's close enough to the point where you can't really see a pixel at all. Uh, but the Varjo headset, now you're at human eye resolution on a headset, but it's $6,000. So the mm-hmm. technology exists. Now it's Facebook and Apple and all their, it's all their goal to uh, commercialize that at a rate that, or at a price that people can actually afford. I mean, the Enri... <laughs> The repercussions, the downstream effect of this type of technology is endless, right? I'm just picturing I have a friend who's crushing it in real estate in Nashville. Mm. He could theoretically, presumably, he could use one day VR to show people houses, right? That's he what Insight have, VR does. He doesn't have to get out. Exactly. And you yeah. mentioned you mentioned fighter pilots. Like I know we have drones, but if this technology is good enough, couldn't you have a fighter pilot sitting in his living room flying an F-16? Yeah. I mean, in theory, right? If it's good <laughs> yeah, enough, yeah. So you could. Yeah, so the you government could. already has that in place. Like where, an F-16 where, or yeah, whatever. Like exactly. A, so, well, not an F-16, but like, okay. or, or, or an F-35, or none of those planes yet. Okay. But they have people who do that with drones right now with something called right. FPV goggles, yep. which are first-person view goggles. I think, uh, what are they called? Wireshark or Games? I think it's Wireshark. Or I forgot the name of the company, but they make these first-person view goggles where you're actually flying uh, these RC drones uh, you know, going 100 miles per hour with this like crazy like souped up drone maybe this drone costs like two thousand dollars but like this thing flies at 100 miles per hour and you're wearing fpv there, there's this uh their fpv uh, drone racing competitions and you're wearing goggles and you're just flying this drone you're going through loops and like all this type mm-hmm. of stuff i don't know if you've ever seen that on youtube it's mind uh but but if they have that oh no for no for a fact that the government has that too yes. uh but even more expensive like some of the drones that they have and the reason why i know this is because i used to work uh in government contracting stores i, I did a lot of interviews with uh, lockheed martin boeing mm-hmm. i did a lot of stuff with georgia tech research institute that works with the u.s government um they they have 
excuse me, uh, like like drones that have uh, petabytes uh, per second worth of data on uh, the, like super high resolution stuff. You've just, like you've never seen 16K and 32K, but that, they're streaming that per second from drones that are like on the other side of the, or the world live because they for them, they have almost like a, 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 a uh, an unlimited sort of uh, level of resources. Exactly. Well, I'm just thinking there's a level of feedback, instant feedback and awareness of your surroundings that you need to land call it an F-16 mm-hmm. on an aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. That, the fact that humans can do that is <laughs> blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's so impressive. Yeah. But the reason you're doing that in person is because you need that instant feedback yeah, yeah. and awareness of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. But if VR theoretically could get to that point one mm-hmm. day where you could land an F-16 on an aircraft carrier, not be in the, in the plane. Exactly. That, that's what, so that's what Varjo and the U.S. military are working on right now. Uh, they're, they're already doing that. Uh, they're also working with um, NASCAR and different, uh, uh, like Audi and all of them, as far as uh, car simulations. So you, you can feel like you're driving the car, but you're not actually in the car. Mm. It's pretty crazy, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you see any downside to this door opening up? I mean, it's dangerous for sure in the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start getting into like robot warfare t- sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's this really creepy video on the internet, I forgot what it's called, but it was, they sort of showed about, they showed, uh, these robots that were being deployed to like third world countries and just taking over. Um, and these robots were actually controlled by humans who were remote. Um, and so these humans who were remote were like wearing these bodysuits and they were the robots, but they don't actually get physically harmed. Right. right? The robots, maybe, you know, you, if you dismember the robot, it's like, oh crap, I don't have an arm anymore. But yeah. uh, you're going against humans that have less resources, less like, little weapons, whatever. This can definitely get very dangerous for sure. Um, but this is why the U.S. government is trying to, uh, we don't have to talk about this <laughs> the entire episode, but like that's why they want to be ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this, um, so the founder of Oculus, Palmer Luckey, uh, when, when, when Facebook acquired them for $2 billion, uh, him and some of his leadership you know, transitioned out, and now he's working on Android Technologies, which works with, which, which works with the U.S. government uh, in order to make sure that we have the best technology in the world in regards to uh, modern warfare for the sake of protection, making sure that you know if China or Russia or Germany or whoever have the best technology mm-hmm. and we're sitting ducks compared to them, mm-hmm. like, we're at real risk. I mean, we have a pretty nice piece of land here in, in yeah. the U.S. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen Man in the High Castle, where like alternate history, I mean, where Germany Andrew just started watching it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and 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 I mean, it's a very real world. I've been watching videos or uh, a documentary on Netflix about World War II and a lot of behind the scenes footage that hasn't been shown before, and now it's restored in color. And like so many things happen. Like uh, Germany ended up taking over France, even though France had a better army. Germany just like were strategic and using their technology, figured out ways to just crush France, and they took over France. Mm. Uh, and to be real, I think that we'd be dumb to think that we're uh, the world's strongest uh, force forever. Yeah. We need to con- constantly, you know, invent totally technology. Agree. Yeah. What was your in here? How did you get connected with Facebook and Oculus mm. with Immersed? Yeah. So uh, I'd, I'd been banging down their door for a long time. Oh, really? Uh, for the past three or four years. Yeah. Um, and then when COVID had hit, is when they're like, oh wow, we should actually be looking at work from home solutions in VR. Um, now, and, what do you mean you've been banging down your door? You had immersed technology? Uh, yeah. So we started building this three and a half years ago, back okay. in 2017. Um, and we had our first users working full time in VR early 2018. Um, it, it's been a while. And what so, were they wearing? Was uh, Oculus the Ocu- around? The Oculus Go, which is a okay. It's a it's it's not as good as the Oculus Quest Two. I'll say that much. Okay. Um, it's it, that was actually a two hundred dollar headset. Okay. Uh, resolution was a little bit, maybe about half what it is now. Um, but it was three degrees of freedom. You could not walk around in VR. You had to sort of okay. sit in place and look around. Uh, but you know, working in VR is stationary. That's, that was totally fine. People were yep. able to use that. Um, but you have an added level of immersion when your head tilts this way and stuff. Uh, now in VR, I mean, it feels like real life because of the cameras that are tracking on the headset. Um, so anyways, that being said, 
2018, 2019, and, and even early this year, I've been constantly been trying to bang down their door saying like, hey, this is something you should be looking at. Uh, in March, Facebook had started actually looking like proactively on their end, enterprise VR applications. Uh, Immersed has something like 40 different competitors in their space, or at least back mm. then it was, maybe now 60 because of COVID, um, competitors in the space. And they checked out all the different products out there and they had said Immersed had the best UI UX, the easiest onboarding, and honestly, the, the biggest technological moat, like no other product does what ours does. Um, and so they, that's when they reached out and said, hey, would you uh, be open to be you know working with our team, working on the, the new headset behind the scenes? And so like we got to like profile our app on the new headset way before it came out. Uh, we get to sort of be in conversations around, uh, hey, what sort of features do you need us to open up in, on the new headset, the next headset, et cetera, as your users and as your application grows? Um, and so that's, that's been really helpful to have a seat at the table in regards to uh, give, influencing the direction that they go. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, they are a much lar- larger organization. We are a startup. Um, but they value the fact that you, like our app out of any other VR app in existence has the most usage for a user. Meaning, uh, you know, Beat Saber is this VR application. It's kind of like uh, Guitar Hero, but in VR, you have these drumsticks and you're kind of doing whatever. And it's a, one of the most popular VR apps, but you're not, you're not playing that 40 hours a week. In Immerse, you are using that app 40 hours a week. I mean, or at least our power users are. And so because, you know, these users are setting, you know, uh, logging times like 40, 50 hours a week in this one app immersed that obviously sets off uh, flags at Facebook, like, yo, check out whatever the heck that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, because of that, I mean, that did put us on the map and hmm. um, it's been cool to finally have an application that is starting to really, really grow, especially because of COVID. Are they going, is Facebook going to want to start introducing some very subtle, not too obnoxious ads while people are in this virtual workspace? Uh, they, well, they I don't love know. Their ads. So they, they don't control our application. So fortunately for us, oh, like, okay. we are our own company. Okay. Um, and so it's more of like a partnership rather so you'd than. you'd have to okay that. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, I don't want ads in my app. Okay. Uh, <laughs> just okay. being very straightforward. But I'm down for there to be ads in the Oculus store that target people to or, towards our app. Yes. Um, I don't, I don't care to make uh, revenue from ads. Um, I mainly want to make more revenue on the enterprise side, uh, because there's plenty of money to be made in in B2B applications. Um, and, and, you know, even looking at Slack getting acquired for $27 billion by Salesforce, uh, they showed that you don't need to show apps and ads in application or to make money. Uh, they just had awesome revenue from enterprise partnerships. Uh, same thing with the Like for us, we're on the consumer Oculus store, but we have a B to C to B model, meaning, uh, individual users will pay for immersed, uh, whether it be 15 bucks a month or, even the free version is valuable because you get an extra screen and you're 48% more productive when you have just one extra screen. Um, and, and, and that so, much. Yeah. Well, that's what the internet says. Wow, so. That's um, so much. Yeah. And so, oh, sorry, it's 44, not 48. 48 yeah. is what someone else put on their website and that was wrong. I remember checking it's 44. Um, anyway, so uh, just from one extra screen for free. Uh, and so as we continue to grow as, as a product and people start using this uh, product, uh, we have users who then go to their manager saying, yo, we should use this for our team. And they are essentially the evangelist for immerse within their organization. I don't have to send a salesperson out there to try to get their foot in the door, try to have a meeting, try to get them to trust the person that they're not biased towards their own app or product. Obviously they are, they're a salesperson trying to make a sale. Um, and at the end of the day, like we have to like spend time and effort to go out there, demo it to them that first off, sell them on VR, mm-hmm. then sell them on our application of VR. It's whole process. Instead, Slack and Dropbox actually had proven out this B to C to B model where you can have a free version of Dropbox or free version of Slack. And uh, did I say Stripe? I meant Slack. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, and as soon as your team wants to uh, actually use this for your team and, and your managers wants to administrate collaboration, then you have a clear upsell into the enterprise. And so mm-hmm. um, same thing with us. We have users all around the world that are using Immersed and they go tell their manager. And honestly, because of the way the pricing works, their manager could just swipe a credit card and now the team, their team has Immersed. And so mm-hmm. we never 
had to interact at all. We didn't have to facilitate, wow. facilitate any of that. Wow, man, I mm. love that business model. Yeah. How long can you run this hard? What do you mean? Like, I as mean, you're a working startup? 70, 75 hours a week. <sighs> I can just so, tell by the yeah. way you talk, which I, which I'm loving it so much. But like, you, <laughs> you have a lot of energy. Oh, high energy. Like, right. <laughs> do, are you, do, you, do you feel like? And uh, I know that there's an end game with the Merce. It's probably an exit at some point, yeah, right? Probably. Yeah. And so, but like. The, like the money side, the yeah. money aside uh-huh. and like the business model aside, which would require an exit and mm-hmm. most commonly does anyway. But mm-hmm. like, how long could you and your team run this hard? <laughs> uh, so th- what's so crazy is like, you probably heard that quote. If you love what you do for a living, you'll never work a day in your mm-hmm. life. That's what our team feels like. Like you we love what you do. We love, cause it's so cool. Our team, we use this, um, thing called discord. It's like, kind of like Slack, but it gives, so it's our support channel. Really? We, and, and it's also combined with our team's internal channel. So, mm-hmm. uh, we, we chat with our team on our internal channels. Then we have the public channels where our users talk and we talk with our users every day. And so our developers, they get to see the live feedback from our users every day. Like, mm-hmm thousands of users every day and we're just talking with them supporting them and like our team especially when you build a feature and users are like wow great job and they go mm-hmm. nuts i mean it gives you a certain level of energy and you're yeah. like it makes you feel really really good right yeah, that you, sure. the stuff you're building is not just thrown into, into the abyss of users and you have no interaction with them like our team is live working with our users and so mm-hmm. because of that we have a quick iteration cycle we get awesome feedback and we know how to build an awesome product um and because of that that also synergistically affects the morale of the team and it makes them really like really love immersed even more. It'd be one mm-hmm. thing if we had an app that like no one was using, we never talked to users, whatever. But it's different when you have everyone constantly patting you on the back, right? And it's just like it, it, it uh, coupled with the fact that these are already founder mentality people. Half the people on this team were either already working at their own, uh, building their own startup. Uh, we ended up like you know perfectly grabbing them right when they quit or ended things, or mm-hmm. they're about to join another startup. Uh, a lot of these are people who again I'd probably be working for at their startup if I wasn't building immersed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get all these sort of this group of people together and. Uh, I love like, like one of the guys say this on my on our team. I remember he was telling me he was like, dude, everyone like when he first joined, he's like, yo, every single person on this team is built different, dude. And it's, it's so cool to see like, especially you just hear like obviously I'm biased towards them because mm-hmm. I love them, they're my team, uh, and and we have such close relationships and they're really good at what they do. But it's really cool when we bring a new person in and then they also affirm it and identify it. And they're like, this is I've never been on a team like this before. Oh wow, uh, it's it's. I'm not the only person. And the thing is, when you, when I say working 70 hours a week, 75, I mean, probably like 15 of those hours are me just like responding to emails on my phone when I'm just like mm-hmm. waiting in line something mm-hmm. or like, I don't know, in the bathroom or whatever it is. Like mm-hmm. just like, and, and so you call it work if you want. Yep. But at the end of the day, again, like if you're a, like for example, Kawhi Leonard, he loves the game of basketball. He doesn't feel like he's working. He's just having fun. Mm-hmm. It, but yes, he also gets paid tens of millions of dollars, right, to do that. Um, and like, like, likewise with us, like you can call it work if you want. If you hate your job, you'd probably be like, oh, you have no work-life balance. But like for us, it's like we love our work-life harmony or work-life integration because for us, not only does our team love what we do, it's so cool to see uh, the spouses of the people on our team also like pitch their families and like, mm. like yo, people love it, man. Yeah. We are building a, like even just thinking about how we restore the family structure as well, meaning uh, before immersed, like like even just the advent of the internet and like advent of consulting. Think think of an, a consultant at Deloitte. You know, uh, mommy and daddy have to fly out Monday for work to go to the client, and then they work there. Then they come back Friday, and now they're at home to raise their kids for a couple hours on the weekend. With immersed, uh, at least you know year after next or whenever those glasses come out, mommy and daddy put on a pair of glasses. They go to work. They take it off. They're back home. It's, it's, it's enabling the family structure to be uh, more cohesive and, and just more present than, than ever before. Uh, it removes the commute and it, it just it, it's such a, it's a better overall experience for the individual to have a more healthy lifestyle. So for us, that motivates us and drives us to want to build this thing. I mean, I can see I can see why. I mean, just talking about what you just did with that person who flies out. I mean, I have friends that do that. Mm. They fly out Monday and come home Friday. Yeah. Some of them Thursday night if they're lucky. Mm. And uh, to think that you could change 
the way they do their work and their mm-hmm. life is that's mind blowing, yeah. man. That's such a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Like I can see where you guys get a lot of energy because in a lot of ways you're building this brave new world. Yeah. Like yeah. that's literally what you guys are doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I can see you get a rush from that. Yeah. Um, but also, do you feel like you could run this hard forever? Uh not forever. I mean, to be real, like when you're if you're running this hard forever, I mean you're probably not making uh progress as a company meaning mm. you grind this hard because you have to grind this hard yeah meaning as the company grows and we have more and more people who uh, we we don't want to lose our scrappiness we don't want to lose our hustle mm-hmm. uh, we definitely want to stay uh, ahead of the game uh, but at the end of the day like if you say for example like here's an analogy a person on my team uses all the time um we look at this as a marathon and there is a finish line at some point um but in the mean and there's certain parts where you walk some parts where you jog mm-hmm. or some, probably not walk maybe I, I would walk in a marathon <laughs> uh but some parts where you're sprinting yeah and this is a sprint portion especially okay. in the early days um especially just getting this thing off the ground we don't like we don't have a bo- uh, like a bottom a bottomless uh endless supply of money mm-hmm. and so there is like money is oxygen we have a certain number of uh, dollars in our bank and as soon as that runs out we run out of money and mm-hmm. the company shuts down um so we, we do have to constantly like get this thing off the ground we do want to hit product market fit we want to have uh our users love our product so much to the point where revenue is just pouring into the bank to the point where we can't even support our users like that's how you know how you have uh something that's really really working like mm-hmm. right now we're still pushing this boulder up the hill and as soon as we crest that boulder we're gonna have to be chasing this thing down the hill so uh and that's what we call product market fit right and mm-hmm. so uh, we're not there yet we're still pushing this boulder up the hill maybe we're kind of close to the peak mm-hmm. um but we still need to sprint and get to that peak before our competitors do mm-hmm. um we won't die because of competition. I mean, you know, Uber and Lyft, they both still exist. Yeah. Um, but that being said, like, we do want to continue growing this as quickly as possible, being uh, mindful of the fact that, you know, Facebook, Apple, Google, Microsoft, they're also working on their version of Immersed also, mm. right? And so that being said, like, this is still a startup. Um, everyone on our team knows that, at least for now, we got to keep running and sprinting. Again, like, my wife and I want to have kids someday soon. And so because of that, like, I realize I'm not going to be working probably 70, 75 hours a week. It might go down to 60, but to be real, yeah. uh, I'm used to, kind of, like, if I'm, for me, 60 hours a week is probably what the average person feels like 40 hours a week is. Mm-hmm. Probably because, number one, I love what I do. It's fun. Uh, and my wife loves what I do or loves what we do sort of thing. Um, and then number two, like, I mean, I, I probably have a little more endurance than the natural than the average person, mm-hmm. um, partly because I've been sort of trained in that. I mean, I kind of the immigrant mentality is like, hey, you don't work, you don't eat. Yes. And that's, that's the mentality. It's like, I feel like I'm in sin if I'm not, or like I, I'm not, I'm being super slothful. Like for me, taking Saturday and Sunday completely off uh, yeah, if I just sit in front of the TV, maybe go play some basketball, whatever. I'm just yeah. like, man, I feel so slothful. slothful. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm not getting anything done. And it's different for each person. <clears throat> yes. And that's totally fine, right? So, And I'm thankful that I'm wired to do the way things the way that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, like, you, like you said, you, you could tell our is pretty high energy. I don't drink coffee. I'm not a caffeine person. I'm oh, drinking, really? No, I, I don't. You don't drink coffee? I drink juice. That's about it. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. But, so, go, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say that like, a lot of people on our, on our team are this high energy, but like okay. those are the types of people we need in order to start yes. this off. 100%. And when we're a thousand, ten thousand, Lord willing, that that big, uh, I don't like. I doubt we'd be. You know, we'd have ten thousand founder mentality people. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. We set a precedence even further than Stripe, but uh, I don't know that that'll last forever. Sure. Uh, and and my role will also look different right now. I'm doing kind of a little bit of everything. I'm uh, I, I'm helping with content. I'm helping. With, I'm doing legal finance, all that type of stuff. I'm coding. Uh, I'm arm. I'm our API guy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm the CEO mm-hmm. of a 13 person stripe and I'm the only web developer on our team. Uh, and so, really? Yeah, because everyone does different parts. We have computer vision, we have Unity develop- developers, we have operating system level developers. Uh, we, different people do different things on the team. Mm. And so we're trying to hire for front end and back end engineer because I just can't do this forever. Yeah. Uh, and, and to be real, I only get to code maybe five hours a week sort of thing. Uh, but that's just not enough time because I'm having to do everything else too, right? We I want see. someone who's doing that 40 to 60 hours a week. Mm-hmm. How, far, um, how far down the road is an exit likely 
quickly do you think? So we've already been given acquisition offers. Uh, we've turned them down because we know we can go bigger. Um, and my team, with the mentality we have on the team is we'd rather have two marshmallows later than one marshmallow now. Um, so that being said, like we, we, we're not going to dismiss all acquisition offers mm-hmm. we get, um, but we are going to like, like heavily consider each one um, because it is an opportunity cost thing, right? If someone comes to us and says, hey, we're going to buy for 200, we, we offer 200 million right now it's probably wise to take that. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone says 30 million now, I say no. Like mm-hmm. I, it just sort of depends on the stage that we're at and can we go bigger? I mean, I, I don't know if you've heard stories of when like, for example, uh, Yahoo came to Mark Zuckerberg back before Facebook was massive, before their IPO and Yahoo tried to acquire them for 1 billion. And Mark Zuckerberg was like, not nah, like the, all the early hires like, heck yeah, dude, that, that means, you know, my equity be worth 1 million, whatever, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Mark's like, no, we can go a lot bigger than one billion. Hmm. Uh, obviously, now in hindsight, everyone's like, oh, he was right. But in the moment, sure. so many people quit Facebook. They're like, screw you, Mark. I'm done. I'm out. So many people were upset with him. And then now they're 300 times the size. They're three, worth $300 billion. Yeah. So that being said, it just it, it, it'll take some wisdom and discernment uh, in the moment when we're given acquisition offers. To be real, like if we grow to a 5,000, 10,000 person company and uh, the board or whatever wants to IPO or IPO, I, I don't know that I, I'm a person that wants to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm like a the a business CEO that wants mm-hmm. to do this. I'm, I'm a coder at heart, uh, which is partly why like I, I you know Elon Musk is one of my favorite mentors is because he's a technological person as yes. well. Um, more of a tech CEO. I am our CEO and CTO as of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if we get to the point of wanting to IPO or whatever it is, like I might say yes, partly because like I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to lead a ten thousand person a person company ever again. Um, I don't know if I'll ever have a chance to IPO ever again. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it just sort of we have to consider each opportunity as as we go along. Yeah, that and, makes sense. And it's sense. more of a it's more of a democracy in our company. Meaning, if I truly have surrounded myself with some of the most brilliant people on the planet, I'd be a fool to not get their input as well. Hundred um, percent. And so every acquisition offer we get, I ask their team what are their thoughts. Mm. Um, maybe not when we're a hundred person company. I'm not asking a hundred people their thoughts, but the leadership for sure, I'd be asking. Yeah, I love that. My dad asked me what I thought about a business decision when I was nine years old, and I remember it to this day. Yeah, you know. Like, what was he asking a nine-year-old for? Well, <laughs> you know, how much do you value my opinion? I don't know, but I gave it to him. And yeah. I remember that. Like, those around you awesome. can have a lot of input. Yeah. Um, what are What is the tech scene in Austin doing for performance-enhancing drugs or substances or whatever like mm. um, um i know there's a company called alpha brain have you heard of them i have yeah yeah i think joe rogan talks i about use alpha brain oh you use it yeah wow okay yeah. okay okay cool <laughs> two pills a day bro oh really <laughs> yeah. wow okay for me I, I i've tried it i for me i don't feel like it's helped my necessarily my energy or my um like it doesn't increase my iq but it does help with clarity meaning like mm. for me i'm pretty hyper observant like i know where all the exits are here right now right yeah. that, i'm yeah. sort of that guy yeah. the one right behind me right yeah. so like <laughs> <laughs> so so but like uh and assume that's why i can't really work at in actual coffee shops because people walk in, I'm like, you know, like I just, I make sure that Same way, everything yeah. is safe. Right. So, yeah. um, but with, with alpha brain, it does help me focus. It gives me clarity. Uh, when our team had like a, a week long, uh, honestly, it was just a week long, like fire hose of like, you know, what are we doing for the next year of the company? Uh, I used, I popped two pills of, uh, mm-hmm. uh capsules of, of alpha brain, uh, before each session, uh, or once a day. And it did help. Mm-hmm. The downside was I had a massive headache when I was done. Cause I felt like I was using my brain more than I usually do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I use my brain a lot, but, mm-hmm. uh, alpha brain just gave me this next level of like focus and clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the best word I could use for me, at least the way it affects me is it just makes me clear. It's a weird mm-hmm. word, mm-hmm. but it just makes me not focus on anything else and just like clear. And I see, like I could see that that direction way more mm-hmm. clearly. Uh, the downside is, yeah, again, like I feel like it makes me use my brain a lot. So at the end of the day, I'm just like, dr- I'm drained. Okay. Yep. Um, I know at some point, maybe, maybe this is more in, um, out West, but 
microdosing on mushrooms is very common in the oh, tech community. Is, okay. that, is that accurate? Uh, I'm Even not. LSD I'm not, maybe a little I'm, bit. I'm, I'm not, not so I'm not. familiar. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> apparently, apparently, World War II, like the Germans used. Uh, I've learned this all from this Netflix documentary. The Germans used um, not Percocet. What was it? Uh, they used crystal meth. They didn't realize it was a bad, harmful, harmful drug, but that's how they went three days straight trucking through France. Was they they just they just did crystal meth? Wow! And it was a company that had uh, been paid by the uh, government in Germany to uh, develop all these all this crystal meth for their troops. Mm. And so, like, what was it? Like, I think in the office, you know, Michael Scott talked about how in the seventies they used cocaine. <laughs> just, you know, yeah, and they exactly. didn't realize it was bad. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure there's you know there's different versions of that. You know, like. Yep. So I'm not super deep into that world. For me, it's kind of like a part of me is also afraid that if I get too uh, used to using any particular supplement, that I'm going to be de- become dependent on it. Right. It's just like a, I don't know if this it's actual like if that's actual. Yep. It's just like for me, I'm not the natural person who immediately like grabs a Tylenol as soon as I have a small headache. Um, me neither. Yeah. I hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, people can do whatever they want, but yeah. I like to stay you know as as like dependent free as possible. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, all right. So let's go back, and I'd like to hear about how you got here. Your yeah. story. Uh, how I got to Austin. How you like just in life. I, I guess yeah how you got here to this table yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> I yeah mean, for your sure. parents were immigrants i'd like to hear a little bit yeah, about that yeah, yeah and then how you got into tech to begin with and yeah. how you got into immerse yeah i talked a little bit about this when i uh so, so uh fortunately yeah i uh, have the honor and privilege to say that like this week or last week uh was uh added to the forbes 30 under 30 list and so that was awesome congratulations yeah, thanks, i was man. gonna yeah. make sure we touched on yeah, that yeah yeah and so when i when it's i it's a big deal man it, yeah how does yeah. that feel uh I don't feel very different. Okay. <laughs> I mean, well, I guess what I'm saying is my team, uh, my team and multiple people are like, yo, Renji, just take a moment to celebrate. Yeah. Uh, stop using this as an opportunity to go leverage the next thing. Right. right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. usually for me, I'm like, oh, cool. Forbes. Okay, cool. Now let's go use this to this and this, this. Yeah. Uh, and like, I, I think people are right. Like I do, I think I need to celebrate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I don't feel very different. Uh, how <laughs> and, close to 30 are you? Uh, I'm 29. Okay. So, so, uh, this was the last year I would have qualified. Sure. Um, I found out afterward that a couple of different my friends had nominated me. And so like, uh, it was cool to hear about, uh, the fact that like, as they were asked, like, so Forbes reached out saying, Hey, you were nominated. And I was like, Oh cool. And they're like, Hey, like we want more information. Then that that was exciting. And then they're like, Oh, Hey, now you're finalist. And so I was like, Oh wow, this is actually potentially going to happen. Uh, it was funny. The, uh, the more, so, so in my head, I was like, I had kind of low expectations. I was like, okay, maybe I have like a 60% chance. Cause it was specifically in the consumer tech category Mm. and consumer tech is pretty open to anyone on earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, meaning, like if you're in the the music category, you're probably a professional mu- uh, musician. Uh, if you're in the sports category, you're probably a professional athlete or something. Uh, but if you're in the consumer tech category, you're competing against all the te- consumer tech apps in the world. And so for me, I'm like, all right, like they said I was a finalist. Maybe I have like a 60% chance of getting it. So I had a kind of low expectation. I'm like, there's still 40% chance. Yep. So the morning, uh, like I, I had subscribed to all the Forbes 30 under 30, like uh, social media channels or whatever. And I set up my alert. So I'm like, as soon as they post something, I'm going to see it. Yeah. And that that morning, I woke up at like 5, you know, 530 or whatever, as usual. I got my alert at 6 a.m. I was like, oh crap, here it is. And so I opened it and I uh, went to their website and I swiped through all the, the consumer tech people and I didn't see my name and my heart dropped. Uh. So I, my heart dropped. I was like, man, screw this. I'm going back to bed. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I guess the 40%, you know, I didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, and then five minutes later, someone text, texted me saying, congrats, dude. And I was like, no, you, you didn't see I didn't get it. And he, he was like, no, what are you talking about? He sent me a link to, to my profile page and mm. said I was Forbes 30 I was like, wait, what What happened? I could have sworn I, I swept through the thing. And turns out they had uh, issues that morning pushing everyone's profiles up. And so mine was one of the ones that they it, it didn't go through. Oh, okay. uh, and so like 10 min- or five minutes later is when Forbes actually like was able to update, like fix all the bugs or whatever okay. and get my name up there. And like even half the uh, people's pictures and descriptions weren't out, even up there. And so I'm sure other people were flipping out too. But yeah. uh, so, so I, I will say, man, it was a roller coaster. I, if feeling super low and then yeah. super happy but yeah. <laughs> uh so, so anyways in the different posts that we had pushed 
sort of talked about how, um, like I don't really have a crazy fairy, fairy tale story. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't have like an awesome upbringing. Like, you know, I definitely had, you know, our, our, my, my parents are imperfect. Uh, I'm imperfect, uh, in the way that I behaved throughout my life. I, I only became a Christian when I was 19. Mm. Uh, and so my, uh, my parents, they moved, uh, from India about 40 years ago to New York. Uh, that's where my sisters and I were born. Um, but my parents, uh, their degrees were not, uh, valid in the U S. And so my mom couldn't be a nurse. Like, uh, my dad, he had like an economics degree, but no company respected mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, it's kind of a long Indian, uh, university name. So like, mm-hmm. I don't know what this is. Um, for all they knew it was like fake or whatever. And so my parents, like they had to figure out ways, you know, work odd jobs, odd hours in order to, um, be able to keep food on the table. And so the only, and this is New York city. So it's pretty expensive rel- relatively to the rest of the U S and so, um, they, you know, pretty much the only neighborhoods we could afford, it was pretty dangerous. Um, uh, my mom was like mugged at knife point, uh, back when she was pregnant with me. Um, and you know, a, a guy was shot to death in my front yard. Um, it was a pretty, God. I remember the moment when that happened, I was in kindergarten and, uh, I didn't see it, but I heard it cause I was sitting there watching TV. Uh, it was like, it was pretty late at night. Maybe like I, my parents, they worked so many hours that we didn't really have a bedtime. We just kind oh, of, wow. yeah. Like my, my oldest sister had to raise me in a sense. Like my mom would tell my, so like my oldest sister, she's seven years older than me. So she was holding a brand, you know, bore a brand new, uh, baby when she was seven years old, she was taking care of me. So my, she had to be my mom while my mom went to go work in order to keep food on the table sort of thing. Um, and my mom was getting her, her U S degree simultaneously while raising three kids, while putting food on the table, sort of, you know, cooking, cleaning, all that type of stuff. My mom was a crazy, like uh, super mom, man. Hmm. Um, anyways, like I remember the moment when I heard gunshots, I, I was scared. I was just super loud bang. And I just went to the back, uh, back room and I was, I cried myself to sleep. I was just scared. I didn't know what it was. Did I never you see heard. the dead person. Uh, I, I no, I saw the blood stained all over the sidewalk though. Oh, um, wow. I, I, I the, the body wasn't there when I woke up in the morning, the cops oh, okay. came, they banged, they banged on my parents uh, on our door. Uh, my dad was home at the time he was getting ready for work. Uh, and they were questioning my dad, like, Hey, do you know, like what happened here? All the time. My, dad was, my dad had no idea. He wasn't even at home when mm-hmm. it happened. They, you, and so we saw, I mean, there was like tape and stuff. By the time I got out there, uh, I just saw blood all over the, the sidewalk and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, it, it got to a point where I, I think the trigger for my parents when they realized, Hey, we got to leave was when, uh, our principal at the school would send us home with slips that said, would say, Hey, don't wear red or blue tomorrow because, uh, we've been given like an anonymous tip that there's going to be like a shootout between bloods and crips. Oh, uh, and so my parents were like, wow. all right, we got to freaking get out of here. Um, and so we, they heard about how the suburbs of Atlanta were a lot cheaper. You get much, a much bigger home for the same price. Like our house in New York was like a, a two bedroom home. Uh, it cost about 350 K and it was, it was maybe like maybe a, th- maybe not even a thought, maybe like 700, 800 square feet. Um, and you know, for three kids, me, we had the kids room where me and my sisters lived mm-hmm. and, uh, and we had one bed in there. And so all three of us slept in that one <laughs> bed. And then my parents had their room. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and, and, and so like going from that house to Atlanta where the house would be cost like 200 K and be like a, a five bedroom home with like a massive basement, massive yard. It was night and day different. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like almost half the price of what the home was in New York. And so for them, like my parents, uh, they figured out a way to be scrappy and, 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 you know, keep food on the table. But when they came to Atlanta, things definitely changed. My mom finally mm-hmm. finished her degree in New York. Uh, she got an awesome nursing job in Atlanta. Um, and it was, you know, life was a little bit easier there for sure. So that being said, uh, you know, from eight years, so moved there when I was eight, uh, became this halo nerd kid and like, you know, just sort of, uh, it, but it was still the suburbs of Georgia, you know, like I, we were definitely like some of the few minorities there and it was okay. very, it was very different for sure. Um, I, in New York, it was actually very like multi-ethnic, yes. um, but coming to the suburbs of Georgia, I mean, I was like, usually all of my friends are white. Okay. Then I moved into the city for college 
and all my friends were black. It's funny. It's just like it's such a, a crazy dynamic. Yep. Um, but yeah, like in high, like I said, in high school, uh, I had like a 2.6 GPA. I didn't care about, I cared about wrestling and, uh, and, and Halo. That was it. Um, and, and then I would like, uh, I, I, I weightlifted a lot back then as well. Um, anyways, graduated and, uh, there's something in Georgia called the Georgia hope scholarship. Mm. It's funded by the Georgia lottery. Essentially, if you get a 3.0 or higher, you get a full ride to any public college in Georgia, uh, like UGA, uh, Georgia state, uh, Georgia tech, uh, you just get a full ride tuition paid for. But for me at a 2.6, so I didn't oh, qualify. Wow. So like out of like 700 people in my class, uh, graduating class about like at least 500 of them got the Georgia, Georgia Hope Scholarship. I was in definitely closer to the 700 end of the, yeah. the ranking. <laughs> and so uh, when I was 17 years old and graduated high school, 17 years old, $7,000 in debt because I only got into Georgia State. And to be real, you kind of only need a pulse to get in. It's actually mm. pretty easy to get in. Um, but I didn't have tuition paid for. So $7,000 in debt. I'd never even seen $7,000 in my life. So I was like, seven, how am I starting at negative 7,000 in life? And so that hit me. That was a pretty huge smack in the face. Uh, and I, it helped me pull my act together. I ended up uh, really trying hard in my classes. I ended up getting, they had eight pluses at Georgia State. So I had a 4.3 GPA and then transferred to Emory and then had a scholarship to go there. Um, and so that's where I went to Emory for undergrad for, uh, I was actually pre-med because of my parents uh, and then math and computer science for me. Mm. And uh, I, I, you know, I took my MCATs after I graduated from Emory, uh, interviewed at med schools. And as I was waiting to hear back from med schools, it was like a nine month process. I started working as a software engineer and I loved my job and I was just like because you're creating applications that you know, I was working on the Chipotle app for NCR oh, okay and so uh, it was really fun it was really really cool I like I loved coding and seeing the thousands of people using this thing or t- hundreds of thousands of people using it and I went to my parents was like yeah I'm not going to med school and they were upset bro I threw, oh, all, really? I threw all my med school letters in the trash that when I got answers back I threw it all in the trash right and you could tell which ones are the acceptance because they're thicker uh, but I was like <laughs> all right, I know which ones I got into I didn't open them because I knew I'd be tempted to go instead mm. of being what I think was my calling in life and now I know was my calling in life um, but anyway so threw my med school letters in the trash parents super upset with me um, but and because I think from that for, from their perspective a lot of Indian people are in tech uh, but in most Indian culture when people say tech uh, or they say IT uh, it means tech support Right. And so my parents are thinking, oh, you're going to IT? You're going to be tech support? Mm. Like everyone does that. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm creating the stuff that they're supporting. I'm not. Right. And, and so for them, they didn't really have any sort of understanding around what it meant to be a software engineer. So um, anyways, I did it anyway. And, uh, and and in hindsight, now they're happy. But And that happened multiple ways, uh, multiple things in life. Um, anyway, so uh, my first job, I remember... Um, after two or three months, I felt like I got a really good grip on what I was doing and things started feeling repetitive. So I started asking my manager like, Hey, can I do uh, more work? Uh, I wasn't asking for more money. I was just like, Hey, can I do other things? Mm-hmm. And he was like, nah, you know, we hired you for this position. Uh, and we have yearly reviews. So let's reconsider in a year. I'm like, in a year, I might be dead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm alive. Like, like I, I, I want to keep moving. And mm-hmm. and he was just like, Nah, sorry, man. We this is what we do. You know, just yearly reviews. And I was like, Okay, that sucks. Mm-hmm. And, but back then, uh, there was no filter or there was no, uh, yeah, filter on LinkedIn recruiters. Like just trying to like target you. Now there's the product called LinkedIn Recruiter. But back then. Every, it was just like, it was a free for all. Like people just spam you like crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, so many LinkedIn recruiters are pitching me on, hey, I can get you a mid-level position here and here and here. And so I was like, okay, yeah, why not? This manager's not listening to me. So might yep. as well see. And so I did that multiple times, but at every company I went to, uh, the manager would compartmentalize me. And so I'm like, and I would go into the interview saying, hey, my last manager compartmentalized me. Are you going to do the same? They're like, oh, no, oh, if you want wow. more work, we'll give you more work. And the, but when it comes to, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, rubber meets the road and I actually feel like I got the job done and like I, I understand really well. They just wouldn't. They'd be like, "Hey, like again, we do yearly reviews." That mm. was the, seven seven jobs in two years. 
I went to seven different companies. And it doesn't sound good for your resume at mm-hmm. all, but each job was a, uh, a vertical move up and not in the same company, I guess, horizontal move or mm-hmm. a diagonal move up uh, the technological ma- ladder, mm-hmm. not the, I guess, corporate ladder, whatever. Um, and by the age of, I think, 22 or 23, so yeah, I graduated 21, about two years later, 23. Um, I was a lead architect at greatpickstory.com uh, for CNN. It was kind of like their time waster app. Um, like CNN, most people who consume CNN are like maybe uh, on average like 45 and up, um, but they want to hit the millennials or whatever. So we create, they wanted us to create greatbigstory.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we growth hacked it to 3 million followers within two months. Um, and so we did a great job there. But again, I got to a point where I was like, dang, I'm like, this is, this is awesome. It was fun. Great experience. I actually loved that. Um, but I felt like I hit a ceiling in my career because after lead architect, I mean, you're just going to be a lead architect the rest of your life. So mm-hmm. it's like, all right, I'm 23, lead architect. I'm paying like 100 bucks of rent with this house of 10 dudes. And like, it's like, so I'm yeah. able to save a lot of money at that point. I was like, man, what do I do with my life? And so that's why I then uh, started uh, focusing on getting my PhD at Georgia Tech in computer vision, machine learning, uh, working on autonomous vehicles, which is why I love Tesla so much, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. And so, uh, but again, the Georgia Tech PhD is like, you know, six to eight year process. And I was like, oh, I only got six to eight years. <laughs> and yeah. so like, so I quit that and settled for the master's sort of thing. Hmm. Um, and I don't know, like I, I wanted to build something where I wouldn't be, like my ceiling could be myself, not my manager. So I was like, let me just go build my own product. Um, but before that, I also wanted to learn more about startups. So I started working at a couple of different startups, a halftime CTO at each one. Uh, and, and ultimately, uh, I just, you know, one, one of the, one of the teams, uh, I love the team, hated the product. The other one, I love the product, hated the team. Mm. It just didn't work out. And then mm-hmm. that's when I started building my own, uh, company. And so, uh, went through this program called TechStars. How um, old are you at this point? 24. Yeah. I went okay. through TechStars 24. Okay. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I turned 25 in the program. Okay. Um, so this is 2017. Uh, is that right? Yeah, 2017. So sorry, it was 25 turning 26. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born 91. Um, and so they, uh, in that program, I mean, I honestly, it was such a humbling program because I was surrounded by brilliant people, man. Like like with Techstars, it's one of the world's top accelerator programs. Uh, about 10,000 companies worldwide applied and 10 got in. So it's a 0.1% acceptance rate. But here's the thing. Uh, I was the only uh, non-Ivy League person slash uh, uh, non-second-time founder. Meaning, yeah, everyone wow. at Harvard, MIT, Stanford, brilliant founders uh, or people who already sold their first company. They're already a millionaire and they're building their next one. And so I'm like, you know, Georgia Tech kid, like uh, non-Ivy League. But, Are you intimidated? But, uh, 100%. Yeah, definitely intimidated. But one thing that was cool was uh, each founder brought something to the table. The thing that I felt like I brought to the table that the other people weren't as good at was relationship building. I think a lot of that come is tied into my faith. Like the fact that I became a believer when I was 19 and I, I learned a world where you actually like, Hey, you need to not be mean to people and actually like love people. Um, and, and it was interesting during tech stars, I was the only one, uh, who was able to have friends who were helping me build this company. And I even just friends like former coding bootcamp students. I, I was an engineering mentor at a couple of different coding bootcamps while I was doing the thing at Georgia tech, um, just to help because you know, the PhD don't pay really nothing at all. So I was like, let me just, uh, I know I'm a web developer also. Let me just like uh, mentor students through coding bootcamps. Um, and I got, it was a you know cool startup pack where, uh, coding bootcamp students wouldn't be able to get jobs cause they didn't have CS degrees and corporate companies were behind the times. Uh, and I'm like, these coding bootcamp students have better skills than most of these CS students. I don't know why they're not getting hired, but mm. You know, they haven't, they don't have experience. I'm like, right, let me give them experience. Uh, I need free labor. So like, here's a free yeah. internship. So I had a bunch of different coding back coding, coding bootcamp students who were just working for, uh, my company for free. Uh, and, and so going through Techstars, like, cause some of these people, you know, the, the exited founders, they just had millions of dollars in the bank. They could just pay someone here. Here's 150 K salary. Help yep. me code this stuff. Uh, the other founders, they're just like, you know, a group of MIT students who were just like coders, whatever. But for me, I didn't really have anything. I just had these coding bootcamp students who, uh, wanted to work at the company because they, they loved me as, mm-hmm. as, as a mentor or whatever. 
And so coming to the Techstars program, for me, like I had founders, uh, other founders come to me and, and we had these CEO dinners every Wednesday night. And uh, the other CEOs would kind of lean on each other, share about their struggles, all that type of stuff. And uh, they would say, oh, hey, like I'm paying this guy like 150K a year, this employee, and he straight up clocking in nine to five and he's just done. He's like, you know, we need support in the evenings, all that type of stuff. You know, Renji, how do you get your team to be so devoted? And I'm like, honestly, dude, like I have a personal relationship with these people. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's not just tra- this transactional like nine to five mentality. It's like, look, number one, we don't pay much at all, if anything. Yeah. Um, they're here because they want to be here. They want to build this thing and they want to learn. And so you, and, and they're like, yeah, but how do you find people like that? I'm like, to be real, like, so for us as a company, just in general, especially at our early stage, we have a salary cap. And so meaning if the person's here for the money, they're going to leave to go somewhere else for the money too. Mm. And so we can't really mm-hmm. depend on them. So mm-hmm. we have a very intentional salary cap back then. It was like 45 K salary cap. Oh yeah. And then we raised another round of 60 K and then we raised another round is 90 K. Um, anyways, that being you said, still have a salary cap. It's now at 90 K. Okay. Um, after this next round, we'll probably bump it to 120. Mm-hmm. But, but here's the thing, uh, pretty much most of the engineers on our team, um, before they came to immerse, they were getting paid 200 to 300 K at the previous company. Wow. Uh, and then they come to immerse for like an 70 or 80% pay cut. Um, and, and I was one of those people, right? I guess 23 year old kid making uh, multiple six figure salaries mm-hmm. and got and again, I was paying nothing for rent. So I was able to save up a lot of money. The first two years of building this startup, I didn't have a paycheck. Right. Mm. And so I was just living off of savings and like, um, and, and you know, Chicago wasn't cheap either. And then also me having, uh, the startup, uh, budget was my savings, mm-hmm. right? So like I, we didn't have funds. The funds was my bank. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it, but as we hired people, uh, with a salary cap, like back then it was, I think just out of the program, I upped it from 45 to 60. Again, asking a 300 K engineer to come to join us for 60 K. That's not an easy sell, yeah. but we do compensate via equity as well. Okay. Um, and so for them, they have vested interest, like literally yes. like they, they have a founder mentality and they're like, look, I want this equity to be worth millions of dollars someday sort of thing. So for them, it's again, this whole, uh, two marshmallows later, as opposed to one marshmallow now. And the cool thing is it self selects out the sharkish people or mm-hmm. the, uh, the consumeristic people who are here for what they need. Mm-hmm. Immersed is a baby and we got to pour into this baby. And at some point, like this baby can be self-functioning and actually be able to uh, contribute back. Yep. Um, it's not there yet. And yes. so we, we intentionally put a salary, uh, a salary cap. And so whenever, I mean, sometimes it's annoying whenever like we uh, try to try to recruit someone and they're like, it's 90K, I'm making this much here. And right. I'm like, cool story, bro. Stay there. Yes. <laughs> right. Cause it's a very different mentality. It's if you, if you must be at immersed, then come join immersed. If, if this is not your mission, I mean, it's, it's so hard. Like that we do have hard times. It's not all sunshines and rainbows. Like there are hard times at the startup. And if you don't love what you do here, if you don't love this baby, you're going to want to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just can't have people like that. Like we want to have, uh, we, we want to have extremely low employee turnover. Like we want people who want to be here. I remember in the early days at, uh, tech stars, we had one person who, who was actually the highest paid at the time. Uh, and it's actually, this is when I was experimenting with a salary cap thing. And I was like, let me just like not give a salary cap to one person. Let me just see what it looks like. And sure enough, three or four months later, they got a higher offer elsewhere. And then they left. Wow. They actually took something? PTO to go interview. Uh, and oh, I found that. Wow. And, and so I was like, oh, man. that's jacked up. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, that and so like, they're like, oh yeah, I'm going on vacation. And like straight <laughs> lied to me. In order. And so like, even at the company, like we have a policy where because we have like a, a transparent culture and we want everyone in the team to feel like we're actually like a, a warm family as opposed to a cold office. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually tell each other what we're doing when we're AFK or mm-hmm. away from keyboard, whatever, uh, PTO, whatever. Like we say, hey, our family's going doing this and we're doing this. Uh, partly because like, it's not just me on the team who feels like I want to trust people. We want the team to trust each other, right? Right. We want them to feel yep. like, oh, I'm actually part of your life, right? And so as opposed to saying, oh, I'm going out with some friends to go do a thing. It's like, it sounds super like yeah. weird and sketchy. It's like, if you have nothing to hide, then why are you hiding? Right. Right. And so uh, that being said, I felt like 
that was the thing I was able to bring to the Techstars cohort was how to build an awesome team culture that's very startup mentality, a very startup focused, uh, and multiple founders in that uh, company or in that in that uh, cohort ended up firing off people from their teams in order to hire more founder mentality people because they realized, mm. crap, I'm prematurely creating this into a, like a large corporation, even though we're like 10 people. Yeah. Um, and so, but once, I mean, night and day difference, uh, once they went from normal employees to founder mentality employees, uh, your, your startup starts freaking like, like rocketing. Mm. Um, and, and it makes sense why John and Patrick Collison from Stripe did things the way they did because mm-hmm. uh, now you see how successful their company has been and there's yeah. no other company like it. Yeah, I love that. Uh, at what point did you meet Sarah and how? Uh, we met at our church in Atlanta. Oh, okay. Um, so right after undergrad, she had moved from Florida. So she lived in Florida her entire life, went to college in Florida. Uh, she got a job with Ernst Young as an auditor um, in Atlanta. And she, excuse me, excuse me, she, um, she felt like she didn't necessarily want to get married and she was like, yeah, I'd be open to it sort of thing. Um, but you know, if the right guy, like all, all the wrong guys are pursuing her and she's just like, I'm not really trying to marry any these dudes. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to stay. And she was on partner trajectory at Ernst Young. It was something like, I remember one of my friends was telling me who, uh, his manager is a partner and he's just like, dude, the average person at Ernst Young, uh, partner at Ernst Young made 900 K, uh, average meaning half above, half below. Right. It was pretty crazy. And so like, Sarah, she's like, I mean, she didn't necessarily care for the money. She's just like, hey, I'll just do it because it's a thing to do, you know, 90 hour work weeks, like whatever. Um, and she was a, she was valedictorian of a high school. She's like one of those types of people. Um, she's a freaking beast. I'm like, yo, you as a stay at home mom, we're going to have a little Renji Musks running around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yo, that's going to be a sick stay at home mom. definitely are. Yeah, I'm, excited that. I'm excited for that. But, um, and she, she, and, and, and here's the thing. So, um, she went to our church. Um, and, and for me, I'd actually gotten out of a destructive relationship. Mm. Um, and like, I was just like, honestly, I got to a point where I was like, I think I'm just going to stay single the rest of my life, partly because the girls I had previously dated and even like, to be real, like my sisters and my mom, uh, they're all a certain type of way. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty emotional, like, you know, things okay. offend them pretty easily. And like, I kind of don't really have the time for all that because yeah. <laughs> I, I'm staying focused on a mission that I'm on. Yeah. And for me, I was just like, like, it, like first Corinthians seven, when, you know, Paul says, I, I, I think it's better not to marry. I, that started clicking for me. Mm. Cause I'm like, man, like there were times where one of my friends in high school, uh, he was feeling really low, like you know, 2 AM in the morning. And I was like, yo, dude, let me come over. And like, I could just like leave and just go to his house 2 a.m. in the morning. That night, dude, he gave his life, life to the Lord. And he like, he like flushed all his weed down the toilet, smashed all his bongs. He got baptized the next week. Stuff like that. Like when you're married, have kids, you don't get to do opportunities. You have other opportunities with mm-hmm. other families and stuff. Um, but that was really, really cool that I got to experience that. And so I knew, hey, if I get married, like my de- my devotion is going to be divided. Like it's going to be to the Lord and then to also to my wife and my family. So I'm like, I saw the advantages of what it meant to actually be single. Uh, so I was like, look, if I ever get married, it's going to have to be someone who I feel like enhances the mission that God's calling calling me to mm-hmm. and, and needs to be okay with the fact that God has me on a very specific mission. Otherwise, like you don't got to date me. Go date someone else. Right. right go marry someone yep. else. Like, yep. let me live my life. Yeah. <laughs> right, sort of thing. And so what was funny was when I'd gotten out of that uh, destructive previous relationship, I remember, man, like. A lot of girls were talking to the pastors like uh, at, at the church and be like, yo, man, tell Renji to like, you know, say what up to me. Whatever. And like and like uh, these pastors would like meet with me and be like, yo, Renji, man, like, why are you trying to stay single? I'm just like, cuz, man, I'm on a mission, dude. Yeah. Like, leave me alone. Right. Yeah. And he's just like, nah, man, like, you know, like this sister and this sister, blah, blah. And I was just like, dude, I just I need to stay focused, man. And yeah. and and. The thing was, these different different girls who were interested, I just they were just not. I didn't see them enhancing the mission. But then when I met Sarah, uh, you could tell she was just 
built different, mm. so different from any other. Like when you meet her, you can tell she's just a different person. Uh, for her, she's all about the mission. She's all about uh, she are she like legit. Are we have an open door policy? Like we have friends come over, hang out all the time. Sarah, the thing that she loves the most is when we're pouring into the community. Mm. She just loves that. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this is a person who's enhancing my life. And so when her and I, honestly, do we? This sounds weird. We had committed to getting married before we even started dating. Sounds weird. Oh wow! So this was a situation. So um, she was in our friend group for maybe like two months. And then after two months, she had decided that like Renji would be a husband that she would want to pursue her. And then she vocalized it. <laughs> she was just like, it was funny. I remember saying something like, hey, uh, you know, it's great to have another solid sister in our group. And she was just like, really? Because I want to be a intentionally pursued solid sister. I was just like, whoa, oh, you're not dating her at all at this no, point. No, no, we were just in our friend group, right? And so oh, wow. uh, for me, I was just like, well, to be real, I was like, I just met you two months ago. I'm yeah. not really, I don't really know much about you. So I actually said no. Uh, at first. <laughs> and so for her, she's like, all right, well, I guess not. And, yeah. and, and then she kind of went her way. But then over the next, like, I would say like week, I, I started like noticing things. I started thinking about like, I mean, would she be a person who would enhance the mission that I'm on? And as I assessed it, I was like, honestly, yeah, she is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had qualifying conversations, just kind of see where we're at on different things uh, in life. For example, I was convicted to not even kiss uh, the, another girl until she was my wife. Mm-hmm. And Sarah already had the same conviction. Mm. Things like, I was like, I want my wife to be a stay-at-home mom because to be real, like, I don't want both of us to be on, like, you know, trying to climb this ladder. Right. And uh, at that time, I wasn't a startup person. I was climbing my ladder. Um, and I wanted someone who could really pour into our kids, especially when I'm not around. And she was like, cool, because my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and I love that model. I was mm-hmm. like, perfect. Yeah, was yes. like, just things just lined up. And look, I couldn't have brought Sarah from Florida to Atlanta. It was very clear that that was God who was doing all of that. Okay. He got her the job opportunity to Atlanta. He brought her to our church. She, he brought her to our friend group. Uh, and that being said, for me, I didn't have to go and hunt necessarily um, because for me, I got to a point where I knew like the the people that I'm fishing for are other people to bring to the fate sort of thing. Mm. Uh, with Sarah uh, or, or with, with women, I was just like, that just wasn't my focus. And I'm not saying that guys shouldn't go get what they want or pursue the women that they want. Mm-hmm. What I am saying is like not everyone is called to that yeah. and that's okay. Yes. Uh, for me, God had other plans clearly. Right. And so when Sarah and I had met, it was just such a perfect fit in regards to like what we wanted to do. And on top of that, I was also attracted to her too. Yep. And so, uh, I was like, well, cool. I'm trying to marry you. And so she she was like, cool, me too. (laughs) (laughs) I love that objectivity. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, uh, and, and that's the thing. She's a very like logical thinker. She's not Mm. as, uh, emotionally driven, like, like emotions are good for being able to tell like where you're at. It's not very good to tell you where to go. Um, as far as just like, if I'm angry, I shouldn't act on that emotion just like start, you know, right. killing people. Right. It was kind of extreme. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, uh, it was funny when, when, uh, so Sarah, like her family knew when Sarah was going to be dating someone, they knew, wow, this is serious because Sarah, mm-hmm. she didn't date random dudes. Like mm-hmm. she just mainly rejected guys and just wasn't uh, about just wasting time. Um, for her, she's like, why date someone if I'm not going to marry them? Right. Um, she's not trying to waste time. And so like for her, so her, for her brought me home that Christmas. So this was like, uh, I would say like around November ish time where we had these conversations and December brought me home to meet her family. And wow. so like met her parents and her parents were like, Oh wow, this is kind of quick. Like what's, yeah. what's going on. And so, uh, her dad and I hit it off and I, and I'm a pretty open book. Yeah. Uh, I was like, dude, ask me anything in life, bro. And like, and he dug as much as he could. And I mean, they, they were about it too. It was funny. Like he had this rule that we had to date at least a year, like all four seasons of the year. I don't know what seasonal depression or something. I don't know what he's looking for, but I was like, all right, I guess whatever. And so I, I negotiated down to 11 months. And so I was, oh, like, yeah. I, was like, I was like, look, we started dating in December, like Christmas time. I need to propose like November, like Thanksgiving. Yeah. Cause she's going to tell if it's exactly one year. She's not knows I'm going to propose. I got to throw her off. 
And so I proposed to her on the basketball court because it's a basketball family. I love basketball as well. Oh, wow. Two of her sisters played D1 basketball. Whoa. Um, yeah. And so like uh, and her dad played uh, college basketball as well. And so um, I proposed to her on the court and like, man, it was good, man. Like her, uh, I mean, her, her dad and I were, were boys and like he, I mean, he did pass away a couple of years ago. He had brain cancer. Mm. Um, and, and but, but ultimately, man, it was just a, a really cool um, testament to God's uh, provision and like his mission, like the mm-hmm. direction he wants to take things. Because uh, even with immersed, as much as I was banging down Facebook's door, I mean, they wouldn't open their door. And then COVID hit, and then now all of a sudden, immersed has a lot more of a purpose, right? Yeah. Um, I had like sixty people, maybe fifty or sixty people, text me saying, "You Renji, Renji, like immersed makes so much sense now." I was like, I've been saying this for the past like four years, right? Yeah. Um, mainly on like the small trickle of growth of remote work, mm-hmm. but then when COVID hit, I mean, grow, uh, remote work like twenty x. Wow. It was crazy. So wow. that being said, like. God has made it very clear throughout my life that like at the end of the day, dude, like uh, wherever God has me, like, and this might sound too black and white, but honestly, this is kind of how my brain works. Uh, I know that God is infinitely wiser than me. Mm-hmm. And I know Romans eight twenty eight, like I know that he's going to have my best interest in mind because he loves me. And mm-hmm. that might mean immersed failing, right? Mm-hmm. Because he sees something that I don't. If, if say, for example, immersed does very, very well in some other parallel universe, whatever, uh, or situation, and Renji becomes this arrogant jerk, whatever, God doesn't want me there, make immersed fail, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, or he makes it successful and turns out that I am faithful, and like, I don't know, but God knows my heart better than I do, and so I just trust him wherever he takes this Yes, thing, right? I think that's such a wise, God-honoring way to view things. You know, we say praise God when good things happen, but the Bible says praise God when bad things yeah, happen, too. Yeah. Um, what do your parents think of you now? <sighs> they are happier with, I think from a materialistic standpoint, a lot happier, but they so, so my parents and I had a little bit of falling out when I became a believer. Mm. Um, they uh, my mom was more okay with it. My dad thought I was an idiot. He's like, "Why do you find the, follow the Bible so literally?" I was like, "Because this is not fake. Like this is his. This is like literally a historical mm-hmm. book." Are like, they religious also, and if so, what was uh, their religion? So so my mom is a believer. Okay. My dad claims it. Um, I see. Okay. Uh, but I mean, fruit. But is you're taking too. it too far, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so if like my dad like. Yeah, he, I mean, I don't know how, how public this is going to be, but like, uh, he, he doesn't live life the way that I do. I Not that it has to be my way, but sure. I don't think that he's a follower of Christ. He doesn't okay. do the things that are in the Bible. I see. Sure. Um, so the, the fruit is different. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas my mom, she does have a, a very legit like relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, there isn't as much, uh, like, like biblical basis on some of the stuff that she, uh, believes or operates in, but man, her heart is there for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's like me being able to observe that throughout my life. It's had effects on me as well. So when, I was 19 years old and some random person coworker came to me and was just like, yo, are you a Christian? And I said, I'm born a Christian. And then he was like, that's not a thing. <laughs> and, 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 and cause I mean, for me, I thought it was a genetic thing. Right. Oh, okay. Um, but cause I mean, you know, when you're Muslim, you think you're Muslim, when you're Hindu, you think sure. you're Hindu, yep. you're Christian, you think you're Christian, cultural Christianity in America. That's just how it is. Um, and I thought I was born a Christian cause my mom was a Christian. Uh, and so he was just like, okay, so how's your walk with God? Like, you know, what do you pray? Like, what, what's your, what do you read in scripture? How's your prayer life? And I was like, I ain't got time for that. Like I'm working, you know, I got a school work, whatever. And he was like, that is not what a Christian is. Uh, okay. Straight up first conversation. I was okay. like, it's like, we just met bro. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah. who are you? And, and, but I mean, he like lovingly pursued me. And, um, and he was like, dude, you call yourself a Christian. Why don't you just join whatever Bible says one time. Mm. And yo, when I, when I got to that, uh, Bible study, we were going through Hebrews and immediately as it was the first time I read scripture and it pierced my heart and I was just in tears and I was just like, these are the words of life, man. Nothing has spoken to me in life 
quite like this at all. Wow, just the uh, power and, of spirit speaking through scripture. Exactly, and it immediately like I was immediately convicted of my hypocrisy. Like I thought I was saved by my good works. I mean, this Hebrew is being written to uh, the Jews, right? And like you know, they're the Pharisaical like 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 uh, uh, hypocrisy that that mm-hmm. that, that uh, was kind of everywhere there. And so for me, I mean, that pierced my heart. Um, and then from there, man, I started walking with God in a way that like it was interesting. The ch- I would help out at the uh, the, um, the the church Sunday school thing that I grew up in, and so uh, the church I went to wasn't very solid. Um, there, there was no scripture; that wasn't a thing. It was kind of like cultural Christianity sort of thing, uh, more like Indian culture Christianity in like the one state in India that's Christian, um, and it was more Pentecostalish. Um, and and there there are there's some validity in some of the stuff that they mm-hmm. uh, do, but it's not necessarily based on. They couldn't quote any scriptures. Not that you have to, but like scripture, the Bible is important for a reason. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, I didn't want to just up and leave, uh, be like, I'll bump you guys. You know, I found Jesus. You guys are whack. Uh, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to help. And so I, I, I teach at the Sunday school thing with all the kids and stuff, you know, you know, K through 12, whatever. Um, and kids were coming to the faith and parents were upset at me because their kids were asking questions about Jesus outside of Sunday. Mm. And they were like, yo, what is Renji teaching these kids? Like he needs to relax. He needs to chill out. I'm like, this is, this is, they're coming to the faith. This is, a, yeah. this is awesome. Yep. It was a blessing. And for them, they were like, Nah, dude. Like you, you, you're causing too many issues. You need to get out of here, sort of thing. Uh, you know, they they talk to my parents and sit them down and be like, hey, whatever. You need to control your son. You know, like whatever. And so eventually, it was very clear. I just wasn't welcome. I see. Ended up moving to another church called Blueprint Church in Atlanta. Um, super solid guys. Uh, John Anuchekwa was one of the teaching pastors there. He's like boys with John Piper. Oh wow. Uh, you know John O. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know him personally. You know but about him? You yeah. went to his church for a, a uh, period. Yeah. So I joined them about a year after they planted. Oh wow. Um, Very cool. Yeah. And and dude, like that community was amazing. Like I learned this. even just the way that John O plays basketball. Like he he's this you know six foot four, two hundred thirty pound solid muscle guy, and he's like dunking on you, and you you get like you know slam. But he, he the thing the way he plays he grabs you and makes sure he lands you places you nicely on the court okay <laughs> and that's how you know that's a christ-like character yeah, bro. Yeah, that's right that's right and so man i learned about like, like you can be a beast but okay. not have to be a jerk about it right oh yeah uh, be yep. a beast in a christ-like way right yeah, and, and i humble love beast. That. yeah yeah and so man going to that church was a huge blessing that's where i met met my wife four years after i was going to that oh, church i see um and and my wife she's caucasian um my parents that was another thing my parents were not happy about like they're like uh they for them it was funny like for them their perspective on white people was they they only met like two kinds like they're like wait either she's proper british in india uh or she's like a redneck (laughs) and and they're like wait we don't want you to marry either one of those and so like i was like why is that you were staring part of it is like it's just the way human brains work like they make heuristics based on their own prior experiences um and so for them like their mentality and every culture or every uh ethnicity has this kind of internally kind of before you kind of grow up and have a better broader perspective on life Mm -hmm. you kind of think that your type is the best type right right? and so that's just in every culture when you're indian you think indian is the best when you're nigerian you think nigerian when you're british when you're white when you're black whatever like you think yours is the best Uh, because you're biased obviously clearly right and so for me like when i told them that i was uh, that she was white they're like uh yeah no mm-hmm. and i was just like i'm gonna do what you already know how i operate i'm gonna do what i want to do yeah. <laughs> and like but when they met her in person man my my parents hearts melted yeah and they they love her bro she is like another biological child of theirs that's so they great just i'm embrace, happy to hear that i i love to see like man i just love seeing my mom and sarah just like get so close oh yeah i love that so I, much that's man. so great my wife is like probably closer to my mom than I am. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? like I, that's just such a blessing when yeah, that happens, and it doesn't yeah. always happen. I know, I know, and I so, love that. I love whenever my mom calls Sarah instead of me. I'm like, that's, that's legit. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm curious, yeah. what do you believe to be true to run this hard? Mm. Like to apply so much time and energy and money. Mm. 
to life, really. That's what you're doing. Yeah, like, yeah. what do you even believe to be true to like be so clear on your mission? Yeah, is it yeah. that is it that you want to you know kind of give your kids a better kind of start to life than you had? Is it that if there's opportunity, you feel obligated to to chase that opportunity? Mm-hmm. Is it that you have, you know, 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week. So what else are you going to do with your time? You may as well run hard after something mm. like what there's, there's this underlying belief that you must have on yeah. something or some things yeah, that yeah. like that cause you to like run so hard. After yeah. This. So I, I think my personal conviction is not, so <clears throat> I've met other uh, Christian founders who would say, I want to build multi-generational wealth to be real. Like my kids can go build their own thing. <laughs> I'm just being mm-hmm. meaning I see the blessings in the humble beginnings that I had. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if Immerse exits, like Lord willing, and like if 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 we become multi-millionaires, whatever, like yep. I don't want my kids to be spoiled. Yep. Number one, um, for like I, I remember reading in Ecclesiastes, he talks about how like why build my kingdom here on earth if my kid just inherits it, sort of yes. thing, right? Like I can't take it with me to heaven. Number one, and number two, they could also build their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like. Um, for me, like I've realized that the mission that I'm on is not prescriptive for other people to do the same thing. I think that God has given me a unique calling. Uh, I didn't sign up for this necessarily, but like this is the path that he took me down. Um, and so I remember like I was talking with, uh, the church plant resident of the church that I go to now. Um, he's like on staff, he's gonna plant his church in January, 2022. Uh, and him and I, like we, we see eye to eye or we feel like we both have this very unique calling and in the mission that God has us on meaning. You know, I talk to a lot of believers who say, hey, man, like, I, f- I think that you need to have more rest, man. Like, I think that you need to, like, take the whole weekend off sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, uh, there were t- and at times where I tried it and I legit felt like I was in sin by taking mm-hmm. just the whole Saturday and Sunday off uh, when and, and feel like I was squandering our investors' time and money, all that type of stuff. Like, they had trusted me with millions of dollars mm-hmm. I needed to be. But not just that, like, God has wired me to be different. Uh, he does have a unique calling what he calls me to do. And to be real, my personal conviction is, like, by the time I die, I want to look back on my life and and feel uh, like 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 used up as opposed to rested up. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. And I feel that's unique. I don't think all believers need to do that. Some believers are called to to rest a lot more. Um, for at least for right now, um, my personal conviction is like, hey, if I'm tired and my wife needs time, I can sleep later. Um, yep. And 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 it's I need to I need to serve. And 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 the conviction that God's given me specifically is, die 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 die. Serve 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 serve. Uh, and he's going to be giving me some, like he's going to be supplying me with a supernatural um, provision of energy when when needed. He like if there are nights I need to pull all nighters, he will get in, or maybe two hours of sleep. He will give me supernatural sleep mm-hmm. um, in order to get this thing done. And this might not be the rest of my life, but at least that's for now. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that being said, like it's been cool to see. Like I, I always thought that, um, you know, uh, or rather, like God's given me some sort of like uh, inkling that using a mercy is going to be able to pour capital into their church and mm. ministries and like mm-hmm. and, and other startups and stuff. Um, but what's been cooler is this past summer. It's been cool to see how God's done this in a cooler way than I thought He would. What I mean by that is we had a public crowdfunding campaign partly because I had a realization before that that um, I'm just making rich VCs even richer. And, and all the friends and family who had loved and supported us throughout the years, they're not going to be able to take part in any of the financial upside of, of our business. And so I was like, why don't I just open up a public crowdfunding campaign to get our friends and family? And even though we've already raised VC, why not just, it's not illegal, illegal and mm-hmm. we don't have a board in place yet. I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. So I, I opened up this public crowdfunding campaign. I was like, maybe we'll raise like three to 500K, just friends and family, whatever, uh, just to add to the, you know, three or like two million at that point that we'd raised to date. Um, and within four hours, it blew through a million. Then in the next two days, it blew through two million. Holy uh, and I was like, All right, this is too much, and we cut it off because um, I don't want to dilute the company that much. Right. And so 
because uh, it was like friends got in, friends of friends, like families of friends, family friends of family. Like it just starts going viral throughout the U.S. sort of thing. Um, and we had fifteen hundred people who invested on average like fifteen hundred bucks. Um, and so that being said, like it was really cool to see how the vast majority of those people are believers. Uh, people of different churches we met as we moved around the U.S. and uh, like even eight hundred k came from our church here in Austin. We've only been going here for two two years. Wow. Um, and so like what God has shown me is He's going to yes He's going to pour capital into the church. It's not going to be just from Renzi's pockets. It's going to be from the pockets of these hundreds of believers mm-hmm. all around the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if Immersed exits and has, you know, like we did that at like a $10 million valuation, if we, I would love to exit for like, you know, $2 billion plus, whatever. Because mm-hmm. I mean, to be real, if the definition, if the definition going to work means this, using Immersed, I mean, that, that's that's like an Uber-sized company. That's a $50 billion. Oh, that's massive, Yeah, it's dude. huge, right? Like imagine mm-hmm. people on the road, like not going, not on the road because they're going to work, like groceries and airport, that's about it, yep. right? Or hospital or something, right? Like the vast majority of people on the road is because they're going to the office, right? Imagine if that was no longer a thing. Like this is a this is a fifty hundred billion dollar plus size idea, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm like, all right, we'll try to exit for two billion, but which is like a two hundred x from the ten million dollar round that we did this mm-hmm. past. So we've been given acquisition offers higher than that. But part of my mind was like, we're going to be taking friends and family's money. Mm-hmm. Worst case, if things don't work out, I could definitely sell this thing for ten million and get mm-hmm. their money back. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, definitely did. Like, we I had so many people uh, reach out and be like, hey, why don't you? Why aren't the terms like fifteen to twenty million? What's the angle here? I'm just like. Honestly, just because my mom's money is in this thing. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I'm yeah. trying to keep it low, kind of okay. conservative. Yep. Um, and so we're going to be doing, and w- what I've noticed is um, all these people, like they have also been like valuable, smart investors by giving us connections at all these different companies, all these mm-hmm. different companies. Um, and just by virtue of having a sheer, like you know, 1,500 people who are financially obligated to our success, uh, it's been awesome to see how much they've been connecting us to all these different companies Absolutely, or opportunities, yeah. uh, as opposed to just having one VC firm yes. or two VC firms yep. and them give us, you know, maybe five connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and on top of that, like the attitude was so different. Uh, a lot of VCs have just to be real. I, we, so the VC that I love is Sovereign's Capital. It's a Christian VC firm. Man, Jake, he's an older brother to me in the faith two years before they ever invested. And uh, man, I just love the way that he's went to battle for me so many times. Uh, unfortunately, that's the only person I could say that has mm-hmm. done that. Mm-hmm. Most other VCs that uh, we've, we've dealt with, total opposite. Very, very consumeristic, very domineering. I just don't want to work with those types of people because yeah. um, yeah. it's 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 uh, it's counterintuitive. It works against uh, yeah. works against us. Whereas the people in our public crowdfunding campaign, the attitude was, "Dude, thank you so much for letting me be part of this." Yes, I'm like yo, you put in fifty k in this. You thank you for giving yeah. me fifty k. <laughs> like and, and like and just the attitude was so different. Yeah. Um. And and honestly, like I remember uh, one of the guys who uh, cuts my the guy who cuts my hair. He goes to our church also, and he's just like, uh, yo, dude, like. After the whole two million dollar round closed, you just like, yo, dude, like, how does it make you feel that you have like two million dollars from people all around you? Is it like, like, is it kind of like nerve wracking? Uh, and I was just like, honestly, dude, it's so encouraging because to mm-hmm. be real, I thought that people just thought that I was on this dumb like startup pursuit, like okay. Randy's working on this weird thing, like because I was used to people not seeing what I see. Yeah. Uh, even when I got into the TechStars program, the managing director told me specifically, he's like, do Renji, like I. Th- I don't know what you see. Like I, this immersed thing makes no sense to me, but I think you see something that no one else sees. Mm-hmm. Just like how, you know, 20 years ago, SpaceX, Tesla, Elon Musk saw something and no one else saw. Mm-hmm. Um, like they understood what he was working on, but they're like, that's not, that's not going to work. Yep. He's like, no, I see a path forward. The same thing with immersed. Like, three and a half years ago, everyone, and, and the, for the past three and a half years, or I guess uh, from January, preceding March of this year, uh, for the past two and a half years before that, everyone was like, dude, I don't know what you're working for, some weird, crazy project. Who wants to work in VR? Now they uh, who, get it. Yeah, exactly. And who wants to work with, you know, and, and, yeah. and but after COVID, I was like, dude, that makes so much sense. Yes. And so now, uh, yeah, all the people who are in that, like, it, it makes sense to them. Yep. And like they, and I was telling the, the barber guy uh, that 
uh, it's it's encouraging because now I see that people don't just think I'm working on some weird random like yes. idea. They truly trust me, and they because for all they know, this the whole thing was a scam. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the two million bucks. I'm running to right. go to some island and live there, sort of yeah. thing. Um, obviously, I'm not doing that. Like, what, it, and what's so cool is, um, it, it when immersed exits, this will be you know it, ho- you know hopefully a two hundred you know, if it's a two billion dollar exit, if it's a four billion whatever, hopefully like a two hundred x return on someone's like ten k yeah. turns into two million dollars, and now they have the funds to go do what they want to do, yeah, sort of so thing. Right. Cool, man. So it, God has shown me that this is way more than just Renji being able to pour capital into the church. Yes. It'll be the church being able to pour capital into the church. Yeah, I love that so much. Mm-hmm. Man, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, man, I fun. thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah. It was a privilege to meet you. No, right, right. Yeah, nice I love what you're you. doing, man. I mean, keep it up. Nice You've fun. got an energy and kind of a vision and a clarity of purpose and mission about you that is, Thanks, I think man. it's unique. Yeah. And um, so don't lose that, yeah, you know? And I think that, you're yeah. doing this for the right reasons. I, I just, I think, um, I think that there's a lot of people that would do this for the kids, setting up the kids really well Mm -hmm. or for the money reasons. And I just feel like, man, there's a, there's a purity to it when you're doing it for the love of the work, you Mm -hmm. know, and the benefits to others. Yeah. And then usually the money comes as well, you know? So Man, I'm going to be following Immerse closely, bro. (laughs) Closely, (laughs) for sure. I love it so much. I mean, I, I see... Shoot, too, Bill. I don't know. I mean, this could be, this could be a slack, man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I know you're, you know, you're, you you're aware of that upside as well, most mm-hmm. certainly. But um, I'm trying to keep it a little conservative, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any final yeah. thoughts for the listeners before we wrap this up? <sighs> yeah, let me think, man. I, I think one, some of the most valuable things that I've learned over the years is, man. Like I, I think it's like Michael Seibel, one of the founders of Twitch, talks about how a lot of people quit too quickly. Um, I, I know it's important to fail fast, but that's once you have data that validates that this is not a good idea for mm-hmm. me to work on. But oftentimes people quit on something that actually can be a good idea if you just keep grinding a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be real, I mean, being candid, dude, like back in January, I was trying to f- trying to figure out how to shut down Immerse because right, you know, two months later is when COVID hit, and then like mm-hmm. remote work starts skyrocketing. Then the Facebook partnership, then raising actually we raised three million this year, so it was the two, and then uh, a one million dollar VC round right before that. Um, and, and like, had I not pushed through just two more months, mm-hmm. I mean, Immerse could be shut down right now at this wow, point, right? And something. so like, uh, it's been cool to see that. Uh, or some Michael Seibel says, like, you know, people, they quit too early. Just grind it. Give something two years. Mm-hmm. Um, people are too quick to be like, oh, six months, I'm tired of this. I'm not going to. Yeah. And, like, a lot of this is a lot of grit. A lot of this is faithfulness and loyalty. And just learn, 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 learn. Try to build it sort of thing. And meanwhile, surround yourself with people who are encouraging, who could help you go the distance. Because to be real, like, it, like in my situation, if my wife was like, oh, there's a huge drain on our life. Why are you doing all this? And she does that for two years straight or six months straight, I'm going to quit. I'm going to be mm-hmm. done with it. I'm be like, look, happy wife, happy life, happy right. life. You heard yep. that a million times, yep. right? Um, but what's been cool is like, man, if you have people who support you and encourage you, even almost to a fault, um, maybe you yourself could be the sober-minded person that says, okay, maybe it's been two years, maybe I should quit this thing. Yeah. Um, but at least the reason why your thing failed wouldn't be from a lack of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that being said, like I think that's a huge learning. And then on top of that, yeah, surrounding myself with uh, people who are encouraging, man, people who um, aren't here because of the success, the mm-hmm. people who have been supporting me for the past three and a half years and didn't just start supporting me because of COVID yep. uh, and because of the growth that we've gotten after that, right? Yep. And so, um, and, and yeah, that being said, like, being content with the outcome uh, and being content with the fact that you were faithful and you were you, you were doing what God called you to do and 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 be faithful grind hard uh, and be okay with what the results are meaning mm-hmm. if God uh, does uh, ultimately it's his will for things to shut down or be successful 
know that he did it because he knew that was the best thing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if Immerse were to fail, I need to be okay with the fact that Immerse failed and it was the best thing for him because again, I can't take this into the next life. Yeah. Um, but if Immerse is successful, know that God did that for a reason and that he's calling me to do something with that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause yeah, to whom much is given, much is required. Yes. Right. And so, yeah, man, I, I think that through all of this dude, like, I think it's easy for like, maybe like, I don't know, famous people and athletes like, yeah, God's number one, put God first. But like, but for real though, like, is God the person that you're walking with? Mm-hmm. Um, when people see you, do they see that you're walking with Jesus? Uh, and if not, if I mean, if you're not a believer, I mean, live your life a, as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, my call to action is like, come to the faith because at the yep. end of the day, like, uh, what's the point of this life? Yeah. Um, but if you are a Christian and you're building uh, a company, man, there's been so many advantages to being a believer in my space. Here's an mm-hmm. example. So because of the way that God has transformed the way that I see life, when I meet a VC or like the VC could be a millionaire or a billionaire, I've seen founders who like shudder and like they're nervous. They're meeting this person and they're mm-hmm. like, crap, this guy's a billionaire. Like, yep. uh, and like, you know, whatever the, the VC says, the founder will do. The founder has now become emotionally a slave to this VC. But for me, I'm like, yo, you're, you're a human creating God's image. Just like me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, we're on yes, a level playing field. The gospel field. is leveling playing field exactly sure, yeah yes. and, and and what i realized is uh when they see that i'm just talking to them like they're a peer for some reason they see that as like oh wow this guy's really confident like no i think you're just used to people who just don't see you as <laughs> they, yeah. they should be seeing you yeah. and i think that me having a christian lens uh is not something that it's not it's gotten to a point where i don't have to like mentally think about those things it's just mm-hmm. how i operate how i see like, i yep. see you as a brother who's on the same level playing field as me and so uh there was an advantage to that just like mm-hmm. from 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 racing vc uh when it comes to uh, for example, my personal conviction, I just don't use profanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and people notice it like my team, other VCs. And they're like, are you a Christian? Like, why, why do you, why do you not curse? And I'm just like, I mean, I don't see value to it. I don't, I don't feel mm-hmm. like strong language has to make, has to be a crutch for making strong, valid points. Right. Um, and, and it's given, it's caused them to have a certain level of respect. Um, not that I demand respect, but at mm-hmm. least they could take me seriously. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially when I was in my younger twenties. And I started building this thing from the ground up, going through tax, again, being a, a 25 to 26 year old kid going through tech stars, like, still a kid. I'm 29, like it, kind of a kid, but like people, they just, cause I don't, by virtue of just not cursing, yeah. they automatically think I'm at least 35 or 40. Sure. And so like, since I, since I, since I became a believer when I was 19, the oldest I've heard was like 42. I was like, all right, I don't know. If 42. <laughs> but, but what's interesting is the, they, uh, associate the age with uh, a certain level of respect yeah. and, and, and authority or rather, um, they, they take your words with more weight. Right. And so because I speak a certain way, mm-hmm. um, they take me more seriously. Mm-hmm. And so yep. as a 25 year old kid, I have VCs who are like, oh, wow, this is like I should take this kid seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that again, I don't not that I deserve anyone's respect or whatever it yeah. is. Like, I would hope that I <laughs> have earned yeah. some of it. But that being said, like being a believer and being open and honest about it, like I think it's like one of the first lines of my LinkedIn profile. Like uh, I forget exactly what it says, but it's very I'm very full about my faith. Uh, what I've realized is being sort of this like quiet behind the scenes, like, like, yes, I spend, I, I spend time with church people behind the scenes, but then, uh, when it comes to business, like I just don't even talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it has its disadvantages, mm-hmm. meaning whenever people connect to you, uh, connect to you on like Facebook, Instagram, and they see all this church stuff, but then in person, like, wait, you never talk about this stuff. Like unbelievers are not stupid. Like mm-hmm. non-Christians are not stupid. Like they know that you're living a double life. And that's mm-hmm. like, at the end of the day, it's like they, they want to be around authentic people, even people who are anti-Christian. I have great relationships with because they know I'm being real with them. 
right? They know that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not BSing them. Like I'm not, yes. I'm not making stuff up. They know that they're getting the real me mm-hmm. and they know that I, I love them. And like, I don't, I don't, I don't have any ill will towards them. They know that like they can trust me. They come to me whenever they need something. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though they just polar opposite end of the spectrum in regards to yep. the, a worldview. So yep. that being said, man, like being a believer who's been straightforward about his faith, like God has only shown me that, like, especially even on the Forbes posts, I was very direct about like my faith, especially at the end of that post. Uh, I, I talked about how like, look, I know who I am. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, deserve I this. Yep. Uh, at the end of the day, dude, like God is the one who opens. I can't, I can't claim credit for these things, sure. which is why it's, it's, it's like, I'd literally be lying to myself if I were to think that I built this. Like sure. I can't even breathe without God. Yep. My heart is beating yep. because God lets that happen. Yep. Uh, who am I to say, Oh, I built a mercy from the ground up. Like, you know, I, you know, I, I achieved Forbes. Like, yep. you know, I, I, I'm the stuff, <laughs> you know, what I mean? uh, that being said, man, like it's, it, people say like, do I appreciate the fact that you give glory to God? I'm like, the reason why I give glory to God is because I literally just cannot operate another yeah. way because it's yeah. so clear. It's so true. Uh, anyways, that, yep. that's, that's the end of it. But yep. Love I'm, it. I'm done preaching. Bro. No, that's great, man. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. Renji Bajoy, everybody. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for being yeah. on. No, I'm glad to be here, man. Yeah, it's a privilege. Right. Awesome.